The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. the week and it's a holiday weekend no less i'm excited to be here hopefully you are too and we will begin the first hour of our final show of the week uh by giving you an opportunity to ask questions you can ask questions about anything you like if you have questions about film television books business radio the business of radio cocktails if you need advice about something if you're curious about my personal history if you have a question about pro wrestling gambling atlantic city las vegas local politics national politics restaurants new york the criminal justice system aliens the mob hypothetical questions if you want to know my personal preferences on something you have questions about relationships baseball the culture at large religion foreign policy you name it now is the time because it is time for The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ah, yes. Whatever you have questions about, now's the time to start asking. We have uh, one open line that should fill up quickly, though. And, um,. Whoever comes up with the best, most interesting, most creative question, the question that really makes you think, or a question that's funny, or an, a question that evokes a response that makes listeners think, as determined by Alex Barnard, Kenneth, and Matt Plays, we will give you a complimentary Other Side of Midnight t-shirt or hat. So a lot of people sometimes disagree with their decisions. Sometimes I spend a lot of my weekend fending off emails as to, I can't believe they picked that question. What a joke. Well, look, tell it to the judge. I don't know what to tell you. 800-848-9222. Let us begin with, uh, let us begin with Alex in New Jersey. Hello, Alex. Hi, Frank. Hi. Do you know if uh, Rush Limbaugh coined the expression global warming is a hoax? And the most, do you think that most mega talk show hosts agree with him because he was tremendously successful, and they thought that following him could only help them gain sizable audiences. Well, you know that spreading conspiracy theories made many people very rich. Well, so the question, Alex, let me, I'm trying to follow your questions. There's a lot going on here. Do I know if Rush Limbaugh coined the term global warming is a hoax? Is that the first part of your question? 
Yes. No, no, I don't know if that's true. And then the second part of your question is is what? Well, most uh, mega talk show hosts agree with him because, uh, and I think that's because uh, he was tremendously successful, and they thought that following him so could the, only. So the second part of your question is what, Alex? Uh. Do you th- do you think that most mega talk show hosts agree with, with what is a, about, what is a mega talk show host? Uh, those people that follow everything that uh, Trump says. You know, can you give me a specific? You know, again, Alex, I can't answer questions about what someone else believes. I can only tell you what I believe. So uh, you were a little all over the place. I think you were. I think you were just using kind of the question and answer format as a platform for bashing. Rush Limbaugh and Trump and conservative talk show hosts. I think that's what you were doing. But I really there's so many people that have actual questions. I don't want to spend the time trying to figure out what you were trying to say. Honestly, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Jennifer's in Boston. Haven't spoken with her in a while. Hello, Jennifer. Consider yourself lucky, Frank. That's what my dad would have said. <laughs> <laughs> only when, uh, only um, when I'm on the wrong side of an argument will I consider myself uh, lucky that I haven't heard from you, Jennifer. Oh, bless your heart. Okay, so um, a quick question, if I could, and then a couple of quick um, guests, perhaps, suggestions. Okay. Um, Fred Allen, are you familiar with him? I assume you are, yes. being a radio guy, yep. being a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just learned about him in the past year or so, and I was just wondering if you ever might want to devote the time to him. Perhaps he's of no interest to you, but just even as a human being, much less his contribution to radio, I, he was a phenomenal man, and also he loved New York. And I just thought he was such a special person. Do you much? Do you know much about him? Yeah, a, a great deal actually. And uh, my old friend and mentor uh, Joe Franklin knew Fred Allen a little bit, and he he acted like he was very close with Fred, and he might have been, but it, Joe acted. <laughs> Joe spoke about everybody that way. Uh, that is actually uh, that's actually a great idea. He's somebody that has had a really um, a, a really incredible impact on not only radio but on Broadway. And uh, mm-hmm. he was somebody that battled censorship very early on. He had a, a lengthy mm-hmm. battle with uh, with censorship. That probably is a a good a good suggestion for a for a future show. Um, I gotta see. Maybe there's a good biographer of somebody that uh, that I could yeah, talk to. Yeah, cause I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to overspeak you, but that's sure. what I was going to ask you about because you're such a fantastic interviewer. But I thought that would be great. You yeah. know, you could really elicit some information on him that people i i just found him to be an amazing man his marriage his life the way he lived every day and just again his contributions and then lastly on a guest suggestion i don't know what ever happened with julie kelly Jr. i, I asked she never got back to me i i uh, asked several times actually and uh, if you have another way of contacting her i'm all years i'd love to have her i asked uh, several times actually especially okay. during the january 6th Hearings, yeah. and I saw her on um, on another television show, and I thought she was really interesting, and it made yeah. me want to have her on uh, even more. So I'd very much like to have her on. Okay, well, I appreciate you efforting that. I really do, because she's so well-spoken, and she's so well-versed in what's happening with all that. Last but not least, I also thought maybe Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller has a new book out. I, I did and, see that, yeah. I, I will throw him on my list as well. That's, uh, we, he we, really we, sacrificed an awful lot, Frank. He's the only one that put it all on the table after that debacle in Afghanistan. And um, I have, you know, the utmost respect for him. He lost an awful lot. 
And um, I think we should be grateful that there's still at least one man out there that's willing to speak. Um, yeah, uh, well, I, I think he's certainly an interesting guy, very outspoken guy, and uh, very well-versed on foreign policy. I think mm-hmm. uh, people may disagree on how he handled that, but that's uh, part of the, what I'd love to ask him about. And exactly. uh, I think uh, I think he would be an interesting uh, guest. I will reach out to him. Jennifer, thanks, as always. Have a good holiday weekend. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Denver. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, nice to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. Thanks. Um, absolutely. And um, so just my question tonight um, to you, um, who is the most impressive, famous person or celebrity um, alive today and why? Well, um, impressive in what respect? In, in, in terms of their character or in terms of their talent or – uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, how do you mean? Impressive in what manner? No, I would say just like the whole picture, like based off of, um, you know, humanity work they've done, based off of their talent, just everything, um, you know, currently alive today, who is, you know, celebrity who's currently alive today. Yeah, it, it's such a good question, right? Uh, I think that there are um, a number of people that come to mind for me. They all happen to be, Celebrities that I'm big fans of, and I'll, I'll list the couple that come to mind, and thanks for the call, Mike. One is Clint Eastwood, right? Uh, Clint Eastwood's talents as a filmmaker, an actor, a, a composer, as a personality, as a director, I think are incredible. Uh, his outspokenness, and then you add to, the fact, uh, to that the fact that he was a mayor, uh, of a of a small city in California, I find Clint Eastwood to be a remarkably impressive guy. The person I'm the biggest fan of is probably William Shatner, right? Uh, Shatner's uh, Shatner's ability to use words and to um, make sounds into imaginatory theaters is like nobody else on the planet. Right. So to me, I'm the biggest fan of William Shatner. Are there other people that are more versatile than William Shatner in terms of their talents? Sure. Are there people that are better actors, better spoken word artists, better authors? Sure. I don't know that there's anybody at 91 that's busier and producing more quality work than William Shatner. And the other one that immediately comes to mind is uh, is Mel Brooks. Right. I think Mel Brooks's talents as an actor, as a writer, as a comic, as a personality, as a storyteller, are without uh, without peer. Uh, so I find that I find all those folks pretty pretty impressive. Shatner, Mel Brooks, uh, Clint Eastwood. Those are. Uh, if I had to pick, it would be one of those three. I'll I'll say it's a three way tie. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello. To William in Asbury Park. Hello, William. Hello. Um, for later on, I had a question for the mechanic friend that's coming on. I run a shop, too, and I'd like to, like, it tickles me pink when I get to show a kid how a ninja works. So I'd, I'd like to know his thoughts on a good way to do that. And um, for you, uh, you went any ways out there? So, uh, you broke up there, William. What did you say? 
for you, you went to Hawaii. Did you get any waves out there? Man? Uh, no, I didn't. Tubes. I didn't go surfing, but uh, but my uh, but my sister did, and my cousins did, and uh, some of the other people that we were with went. So they really enjoyed it. But no, I've never been. I never had really a big desire to go. But I, I should try it once at least, right? My friend runs a surf school in Atlantic City, and he's always offering to uh, take me out. I should try it at least once. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Whatever your questions are, I am happy to try to answer them. Sarah is in Wisconsin. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Frank. Um, kind of an interesting question, I think. You are absolutely required. You have no choice. You have to assume someone else's life and leave yours behind. Whose would you assume? And I mean a contemporary. I don't mean a historic figure. I mean today of people that you know. So it's somebody that already exists, right, that I have to yeah. trade identities with. Well, yes, you have to change your entire life and become that person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I would say, well, let's see. I would say maybe my friend uh, Arthur Idala, who's a uh, criminal defense attorney who is uh, who's on the radio and who does a lot of interesting work and who we have uh, a lot of the same interests. So I think um, on the on the one hand that we I'd be doing a lot of different things. But on the other hand, uh, I get to be doing uh, still a lot of the same things that I that I really enjoy. So uh, I think uh, it might be my friend Arthur. Thank you, sir. Good. Good question. That really makes you me think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Mario is in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, good morning, sir. My question concerns the gentleman who's on before you. His show is only one hour. And is it mandatory that he pauses for station identification repeatedly and uses all that precious time up? Is that is, well, is that you well, follow we, what I'm trying to say? He's I don't. only got an hour. I don't. What precious so, time is he using up? Well, he, he continually says you call letters. You know, uh, I I counted it one time on one of the shows. He said it. Oh, I don't know, maybe fifteen, sixteen times. You know, you're uh, you're on this state. We know what station it is. Well, we not everybody, not everybody you know? does. And actually, well, that's one of the things that radio consultants in the era of ratings that we're living in, the PPM uh, era, constantly, constantly encourage you to do is to say the name of the station and to reset because there are new people tuning in all the time. So uh, I think he does a great job and the ratings reflect that he's still number one in his time slot. As are we. So uh, I think that's certainly, certainly, I think whatever he's doing is working. I'm a big fan and I enjoy listening. 800-848-9222. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, listen, I know you're going to your, you're probably going to your brother's wedding in Mexico and you'll be off for at least a couple days or maybe a whole week. And I'm guessing that Curtis is probably set up as the guest host. But what I wanted to ask you was, do you ever see a day coming where Matt Blaze sits in your seat as a guest host while you're off on vacation. Well, first it is my brother-in-law uh, in December and I think I'm only oh, missing okay. I think I'm only missing 2 days. I think I'm missing a Friday and a Monday. I I and just so people know, I don't get to pick any of the guest hosts. I make a series of recommendations, and they have not 
ever been chosen. But uh, I think actually Matt Blaze would be pretty interesting, at least one, maybe not for a whole week, but uh, for at least one show, I think he would would do a pretty good job. I know he's working on a podcast, which we soon may hear on uh, on WABCradio.com, but uh, I'd love to see Matt Blaze be a guest host. We might be canceled by the time I come back, but it would certainly be an interesting ride on the way. I think so. Igor is a very smart man. And I will be promptly sending this clip to Chad Lopez. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm not meaning. Good, good, good luck. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Tim is in New Jersey. Hello, Tim. Frank, Tim. I consider you a modern-day oracle. Thank you. Can you tell me how the devil got everyone to think he doesn't exist? Well, I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people do think the devil exists. The, the devil exists, right? I mean, certainly, I think uh, almost as many people believe in the devil as believe in God, right? So I don't think that's uh, accurate at all. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your questions in a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Forget your troubles and just get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Sing hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. The sun is shining, come on, get happy. The Lord is waiting to take your hand. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. We're going to the promised land. We're heading across the river, wash your sins away. The great Frank Sinatra singing Get Happy. Well, uh, how could you not be happy going into a holiday weekend? Am I right, my friends? 800-848-9222. We are doing... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. All right. Uh, let me get to a couple of email questions here because I always neglect the emailers out of deference to the phone people. Uh, deservedly so. I think the phone people should get precedence, but whatever. I'll get to a few email people. This person writes, all your life, Frank, what's the total gambling loss you've incurred and what and would would and would you is missing a word there, but I think he means would you have liked to have saved all that dough instead rather than enjoying quotation marks the gambling? Thanks. I'd have to think about that and I'd have to do some math. Uh, but I think honestly, if I'm counting all of my gambling losses and winnings, a net loss I think probably going into last year was. Probably going into 2021 was probably in my whole life, I want to say around $20,000, right? But last year I netted a win of about $10,000. So this year so far I'm up, I think, about 3600 So I think my net gambling loss for a lifetime is somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy between seven dollars and $8,000, let's say. And would I have liked to have saved all that? No, absolutely. I, absolutely not. I would happily 
have uh, gambled that away for the experiences that I had at the time, for the stories that I got to tell in life and on the radio afterwards, and for the complimentary uh, hotel rooms and buffets and restaurants that I uh, that I got as a result of those gambling losses, not to mention the free parking, the uh, all sorts of other things that you get as cops. Absolutely not. That's the easiest question I've gotten thus far. 800-848-9222, uh, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello. Let me go to people in the order in which they've been holding, um, which seems fair. All right, uh, Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Hey, Frank, have you ever visited any Civil War battlefields in your life? No, but I'd like to. And uh, my dad was just at uh, Gettysburg, and he said it was really impressive. So I've never been, but I did put uh, Gettysburg on my uh, on my list. Oh, well, you're right. I also try out Antietam down there. It's only a few miles south by Hagerstown. Uh, that's uh, I will. I'll put that on my list as well. Thank you, Pete. Uh, any others that you'd recommend? Uh, the Bull Run area has a lot through the wilderness, Spotsylvania, where the heavy fighting was with the Army Potomac in Northern Virginia. It was pretty good. Okay. Pretty good stuff down. I will. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, I've never, I never, I never have. I don't know. I don't know. I, I will, I, I never made it a priority, but uh, after hearing my dad's description of that and everything, I would like to go. 800-848-9222. Let's see. Michael is in Ridgewood. Hello, Michael. Hello, Frank. Hello, Michael. Uh, I guess or no on this one. Friday, December 2nd. That's uh, in 2022 at 8 o'clock. You take little Carmine and your wife, and you come to Ridgewood to hear Prokofius, Peter, and the Wolf, and Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh. His selections from Hansel and Gretel. Both performed by the Ridgewood Symphony Orchestra. It's a wonderful community symphony orchestra. People do other things for a living to get together one night a week to make music and then do a concert. So what's the question, Michael? Which one of these four restaurants that have high chairs would you like to try? Best of everything, not best for the East Coast Burger on Franklin Avenue and uh, Oak Street. That's one. Number two is Daily Treat. They have high chairs. That's on East Ridgewood Avenue. Number th- number three would be Puzo's. On West Ridgewood Avenue. Who's this? Okay. And and four? And there is a uh, French restaurant, Le Le Chic or Le Bon or whatever. They serve chicken. They serve burgers. Their burgers are good. Okay, well, ch- now, M- Michael, I hate to do this to you, but I wasn't writing these down. Can you repeat all four of these restaurants again, please? Sure. Thank you. The first first one is East Coast Burger. East Coast Burger, okay. East Coast Burger, okay. That's on the corner of East of uh, Franklin Avenue and Oak Street. Franklin and Oak, okay. 
Franklin. The second one. Okay. Second one. The number two is the daily treat. Daily treat. Okay. That's on East Ridgewood Avenue. East Ridgewood. Number three. Number three is Puzo's. Puzo's. And then four is the the French place. I, uh, they sound great, but uh, not knowing anything, I'm going to try the Daily Treat. And as far as uh, December 2nd being in uh, Ridgewood for that, that sounds great, actually. I love Engelbert Humperdinck. I think my brother-in-law may be getting married in Mexico that weekend, so I think I might not be able to go. And if we did go, which actually, of all the things that people suggest that I go to, that's not the worst suggestion, um, we would not bring Carmine because Carmine goes to bed at 7.30, 8 o'clock. So we're not going to keep him out past 8 o'clock on a Friday. And if we did keep him out past 8 o'clock, he would not be good company and would ruin anyone else's, I think, Enjoyment of those those concerts. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That was something. That was something. If ever there was an award for um, telephone talent coordinators, I have no doubt that uh, Kenneth would be getting it uh, after this show. All right, um, we got to a few other people that have been holding a while. Uh, John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Hello, Frank. Uh, I have a question and then several guest suggestions. Uh, have you been to Sailor's Snug Harbor? Yeah, at at, uh, at Snug Harbor, at the north shore of Staten Island? Yes. Yeah, of course, many times, many times. Do you have a fa- favorite spot there? Well, I like the theater there. I saw a production of Fiorello at the theater uh, on the grounds of Snug Harbor with uh, Tony Lobianco. It was great. Uh, so that, I have a lot of great memories there. My Uncle Steve also got married there. That was a lot of fun. The um, Chinese Scholars Garden there is pretty good. Uh, right. That's nice. But really, I, I don't know that I could pick one. There's uh, there's so many different things that, uh, that, the, that are on the grounds there that offer. It's very beautiful, especially when it's... Nice weather out like it, it probably will be this weekend. It's uh, it's a great, great location. I love everything about it. Okay, and, and now here's quickly the guest suggestions. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, he's at NYU. Staring- I'm very familiar with him. I have been trying to get him. I am working very hard to get him. I have followed his I, work very closely. I'm trying to get him. I think it would be most appropriate. Uh, Neil Shubin, who's... An evolutionary biologist at the University of Chicago. He's the one who found the missing link between fish and amphibians, mm-hmm. Tiktaalik. That's a good one. Okay, I will put him uh, on my I list. I mean, he's an excellent speaker. Um, let's see. Uh, how about, uh, did you ever host a high school friend of mine, uh, speaking of jazz music, George G? Uh, George G. Didn't I? I think I had George G on a couple of months ago. Oh. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure yeah. if you did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. All good suggestions, though, John. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to, let's see, Dave in Lockport, New Jersey. Hello, Dave. No, Lockport, New York. Right? Lockport, New York. Oh, you got yeah, Kenneth, Dave. New York. It happens to hey. all of us. It happens to the best yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my question is, which historical figure, alive or dead, uh, uh, president, author, uh, dictator, whatever, would you most like to meet, have a conversation with, maybe a beer, 
and why? Well, I, I get, I get, the, I've gotten this question frequently, right? So if it's somebody to meet or interview, um, the answer is definitely Theodore Roosevelt because I think he's just remarkably impressive and has such a diverse body of experience that we could converse about. Uh, we could talk about not only his time in the presidency, but his time as the leader of a minor party, his time as a as a North Dakota rancher, his time uh, as a um, as the police commissioner of New York City, his time as governor of New York. His time as a a scholar and a researcher, I could learn a lot about the War of 1812 and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, But if it's he would you rather meet uh, Jesus or no, uh, no, no, Uh, you know, know, or Walt Disney? No, no, I'm sticking with Theodore Roosevelt. Um, Jesus, great guy and uh, certainly worthy of worshiping. Anybody that can come from the dead is very impressive. But if you read read a lot of his quotes, right, he strikes me as a very frustrating guy to have a conversation with and to have a have a he would drink wine, but have a wine with. Right. Because. He's everything's a parable. Everything's a riddle. Everything's a question. Everything's a lecture. Okay. All right. We get it. We get it. All right. Give me a straight answer once in a while. Stop answering in parables and let me interpreting your own answers. I mean, again, really impressive that he came back from the dead. I'm not taking anything away from that. But if we're talking conversation, which is the premise of your question, I want somebody that's going to not answer in riddles and parables and and allegories. Right. And and. Tell me how terrible money is and everything like that. I would like a, a little more. And plus, I don't speak Aramaic. Now, presumably, Jesus also knows English. So I guess we would he would speak in English. But who knows how heavily accented his English is. If he speaks English like uh, Ralph in New Jersey, then that could also be a pretty frustrating conversation. But um, in terms of having a beer with or, or a drink with, that's a different question. Because Theodore Roosevelt was not a big drinker. So I would want to pick somebody that was more of a drinker than maybe a Winston Churchill. Churchill was a great drinker, right? He would uh, some days have up to 10 martinis a day. I'd love uh, to have some conversations with Churchill, talk martinis, talk cigars, talk politics. Uh, He had a lot of views which are considered, if you put them and judge them by 21st century standards, way out of fashion. So I'd love to talk with him about how those views have evolved and how how the perception of those views has evolved or devolved and whether he would still hold to those views. And namely, I'm thinking about some of the views about race uh, that he that he had. But uh, so it would probably be Churchill if we're picking somebody to have a drink with. Although I, I suspect that um, I suspect that George Washington was a pretty interesting person to have a drink with uh, as well. So, But uh, if I had to pick someone just to interview or to converse with, it would be Theodore Roosevelt. 800-848-9222. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Good morning. I'm going down to the Brigada on the 9th to see Tom Jones when I got backstage uh, meet and greet because uh, my buddies, the Kashis, used to work with him in the 80s. Cool. They performed when they were in his band. So I'm looking forward to it, but I need to know a good restaurant. You know, I went down for the air show, couldn't get anywhere near the buffet or any of the restaurants because they were packed. I ended up getting a takeout order for some place about a mile off of the Brigada and the pizza. That was sensational. I don't even know the name of the place. I'm not plugging it, but it was, you know, people don't know. You could order out and you meet down at the valet and you get your delivery. And for three people, 
It was under 50 bucks for the night. So, you, Pete, just so I understand, you're looking for a place at the Borgata, or are you willing to go outside yeah. of the Borgata? Yes. No, well, you recommended one place to me, a steakhouse. Right. I think it was Morton. No, was at the Borgata would have been right. Old Homestead. Oh, I'm sorry. That's an Old Homestead. Yes. Yeah. So how about any other ones? Well, it all depends on what kind of food you like, right? The the seafood Ita- steak. Yeah. Well, so the I think um, the the um, the best restaurant, as far as I'm concerned, at the Borgata is um, is is Old Homestead. Um, the they have a very good Japanese restaurant there, uh, Izakaya, which is very very yeah, good. I went to there. I went there about a month ago. It's excellent. Yeah, excellent. so I, I like Izakaya a lot. Uh, I used to like uh, I used to like the um, they used to have a wonderful uh, seafood restaurant there, but unfortunately uh, it closed. The the oh, boy. yeah, but uh, the Italian place there, Angeline. A lot of people really like it. It's not really. It's not really for me. Uh, I don't. I. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about it. So I really like Old Homestead. I like Izakaya. They have a, a restaurant that's a little more casual. If you don't want to break the bank, it's almost like a diner kind of called the Metropolitan. I think the food yes, at uh, yes, yes. the Metropolitan. That's owned by the same people, right? That it, own uh, cats in uh, in uh, Manhattan. You know, the yeah, part owner. Right. So I, I think the Metropolitan is very good. But if you're willing to go uh, next door to um, uh, Harris, Harris has some good restaurants, and so does uh, so does Golden Nugget. Uh, but uh, look, I think you really can't go wrong with uh, Old Homestead if you're in the mood for a steak. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. All right, uh, one open line if you want to jump on board. Uh, this is an email question from Joanne and Bob. Hi, Frank. My wife, Joanne, says hi and has a question. You have answered this previously, but wonder if you would consider a future run for office in the right situation. You breathe politics. You have great values. So many turn down the opportunity because of the intense scrutiny. Family always comes first, and you're always working your, and you're already working your dream job. As we also share a love of Cape May, if you should eventually move there, they can always use great leaders and a great perk being only 35 miles from Atlantic City, 35 minutes from Atlantic City. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, look, I have often looked at running for office. I would love to do it. I think I'd have a lot to contribute, but there's a few things that keep me from doing it, right? Um, One is I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. And unless we have nonpartisan elections or proportional representation, that makes it very difficult to be elected. Number one. But there are situations like with a special election where there are nonpartisan elections in New York City. Two, um, I, you know, I I live pretty much paycheck to paycheck. Right. So if I were to run for office or announce a run for office, the radio stations that I'm on would have to take me off. So I wouldn't really be able to earn a living while campaigning. So if the choice is not being able to pay my mortgage or running for office, I will take being able to pay my mortgage. Three, uh, you really, I've seen so many people get elected with the best of intentions and then be able to accomplish very little. I actually think maybe in terms of moving the ball forward on specific issues that um, maybe I'm better off on the radio. You know, I mean, if you look at the people that have been very successful on radio, folks like Rush Limbaugh, for instance, uh, don't you think he has had more of an impact not holding any political office and being on the radio. And four, um, it's not just the scrutiny, because I'm not that worried about the scrutiny. I don't have any major scandals, and I share all my skeletons on the radio with you. 
really it's the time commitment. Every friend of mine that's an elected official, instead of spending Saturday and Sunday morning with their family, they're out going to events. They have to be at community events. And it's ver- it's nice to be able to control your own schedule, go to the events that you want to go to and uh, and to uh, not go to the ones that you don't want, spend time with your family, spend time with your friends. When you're in politics, you don't have that luxury. It's so It's so trendy to demonize politicians. It really is. But the reality is it's a very tough life. It really is. I know it doesn't seem like that. I know it seems like they get a lot of perks, and that's true to some extent, but it's, it requires a lot of sacrifice, and that's one of the reasons it's so taxing on a uh, family. But, look, if the opportunity came to maybe be Staten Island Borough president or something like that, I would certainly uh, think about something like, uh, like that. Now, um, but I'm not going anywhere. I, I am very happy here on the radio, 800-848-9222. Billy is in Rockland. Hello, Billy. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Great show. Thank you. Um, listen, is there any chance like at WBC could put a comedy show or comedians on Sunday night, like after uh, the Dina Martin show? Because like you need something lighthearted, you know, and Curtis is just too much after a while. Well, I think Curtis can be pretty funny, but um, I uh, I don't get to make programming decisions, Billy. I, I know our owner is probably listening right now, so he I'm sure he heard that suggestion. So uh, I think that's as good as making a suggestion gets, is having the owner hear your question about it. 800-848-9222. Joe is in New York City. Hello, Joe. Um, I was wondering if you go to that, uh, uh, patronize that restaurant that had a protest against the COVID closing in Staten Island. Uh, which one? I don't know the name of it. The guy with the, was in the limelight, he was uh, trying to be arrested. They said he jumped on the car, but he did not. Oh, oh, I think you're talking about Max Public House. Oh, it's it's closed. It's not open. Oh, okay. Thanks for the update. Yeah, sure. No, it's, night. it's closed. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to, uh, let's see, uh, who's been waiting a while. Jay in Muncie has been waiting a while. Hello, Jay. Hello. Jay, come off that speakerphone. I'm going to put you on hold and come off that speakerphone. We'll get back to you. 800-848-9222. Larry's on Staten Island. Hello, Larry. Larry in Brooklyn. Uh, sorry, you got Kenneth, Larry. It happens. Okay. Um, okay, it's Okay. So listen, um, I want to ask you about Bill Clinton's impeachment. Mm-hmm. What were the exact charges levied against Bill Clinton? And, and, and also, do you think it was, it's hypocritical that Bill Clinton was uh, <laughs> going to be impeached upon lying about his sexual deeds rather than actually committing them? Well, so the articles of impeachment against Bill Clinton, um, I, I would have to go back and look at them. Uh, but, it, you know, I think you're right. The genesis of it did. So uh, the House adopted two articles of impeachment against uh, against Clinton. Right. So the specific charges were lying under oath and obstruction of justice. Uh, two other articles were considered, but they were rejected by the House. So those were the two things that he was impeached for, lying under oath and obstruction of justice. And the second part of your question was was what? No, I, uh, the, the lying under oath, did that have to do with lying, <clears throat> lying about what he did with Monica Lewinsky? And if it did, do you think it's hypocritical that they're asking a man <clears throat> to, tell, to, 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 na- to tell the truth nationally about his sexual acts rather than Commit, rather than impeaching him 
upon actually Larry, Larry, committing I, those acts I, 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 in the I, White House. Larry, I don't understand the question. So do I think it's hypocritical to, to I, I, again, I'm, you're losing me, Larry. It, 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 okay, okay, okay. The fact that they asked him to be candid about what he did right. rather than impeaching him upon well, well, okay. having so committed Okay, so I want acts. you to repeat your question again without using the word they or or him or any pronouns. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, do you think it's hypocritical <clears throat> that they that they will force no they's no they's no pronouns? Try again. Okay, is it hypocritical to force Bill Clinton to be candor the candorful about what he actually did rather than impeach him upon what he did? Well, so the is it hypocritical of whom the grand jury that he was testifying before? Of the nation, of 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 the, of the Congress. I, no, I'll, I'll say that. I mean, is, it, is that's the shortest way out of that question? I I I, I, I no, I, I don't even understand the question. And I, again, I want to put you in touch with that guy that called in about Rush Limbaugh before. You you guys can have the same sort of conventions that um, Chris from the Catskills and Alex Barnard have. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Oh boy, that was exhausting. I feel like I need a vacation after that question. Whew. Okay. Frank is in Babylon. Hello, Frank. Hi, hi. Good morning. Morning. Um, this will be a, this will, hopefully this will be like a vacation for you because Thank you. It's a pretty easy question. I'll take it. You may have even been asked it once or twice already, I but I haven't heard it myself personally. Sure. I'm curious why you repeat the um in the, the the message about having a pet spayed or neutered. What's the connection with Bob Barker and the price is right or anything like that. Can you elaborate? Sure. Well, I do it primarily because I think it's something that should be repeated every day because people still aren't doing it. And it's the only way to control the pet population, which is spiraling out of control because people aren't uh, getting their pets spayed and neutered. But secondarily, uh, I do it as a uh, as a little bit of a tribute to Bob Barker, who was uh, one of my favorite people to interview and I think one of the greatest broadcasters of of all time. So it's mostly about the message, but it's also about the messenger. Okay, that's interesting. Um, anything about the program itself, like the nature of the game show or anything like that? No? Well, no, it has nothing to do with why I say that. It's more about, about Bob Barker himself. Great game show, uh, clearly one of the most successful in TV history. So I'm not taking anything away from it, but uh, no, nothing to do with the game show itself. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me try again to go to Jay and Muncie. Hello, Jay. Yes, hello. Hi. Hi. um, I was wondering, um, how is it fair fair that anybody who's pro-abortion is already born? Should we be asking the babies? Should we be asking the babies if pro-abortion people should be killed? Is that what you're saying? No. What I'm saying is how is it fair that anybody who's pro-abortion is already born? I mean, isn't that kind of hypocritical? Hypocritical of whom? Of the people who are born. I mean, if they're so pro-abortion, then are they kind of, you know, saying they shouldn't have been born? Well, no, because no more than people that are pro-death penalty get to still live. I, I mean, that's, that's absurd. It's absurd. If you, the way that you characterize the question is absurd. And again, all these questions about hypocrisy, I, have se- I don't know what the obsession is with hypocrisy that people have. Everybody's a hypocrite, right? 
Hypocrisy is not a bad thing. As I've explained before, one of the greatest quotes in human history is hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue, right? So if somebody is being hypocritical about anything, that means at least something they're doing or saying is correct, right? So if I'm being hypocritical, if I'm telling people to uh, not park in handicapped spots and then I am in my private life parking in handicapped spots, that is terrible that I'm parking in handicapped spots, but it's still great that I'm telling people not to park in handicapped spots. Does that make sense? So that's why these questions about hypocrisy are so foolish. Everybody, there's an element of hypocrisy in everyone's life, and that's okay. Uh, You need to accept that. You need to accept that. Hypocrisy is good because it means at least one of the things that you're doing or saying is the right thing. 800-848-9222. Uh, I tell you, Matt Blaze and uh, the crew here is going to have their work cut out for them in choosing the best question today, boy. Let me tell you. 800-848-9222. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Let's Go Surfing by the Drums. I, uh, never been, but who knows? Maybe this will be the weekend that I go. Probably not. I'll be kind of running around. 800-848-9222. We are in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Uh, questions about any subject are fair game. By the way, Ellen tells me that uh, I did have George G. on. He was great. He was on the show on May 20th. Uh, so John from Brooklyn had called in asking about George G. May 20th he was on. So there's that. All right. Uh, let's see. Who's been holding a while? Ray is in New Jersey. Hello, Ray. Yeah, Frank. Uh, why are you such a hypocrite? It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> it's pretty good, Sorry, actually. Frank. I had to do it. No, had that's funny. It. I like it. No. What? How do you think the war in Ukraine is going to end? Well, that's see, that's a good question. And I'm going to ask that to our guest coming up in about uh, 90 minutes, who's going to be joining us live uh, from from Russia. Um, I'll tell you my hope. And I, I do think we'll get there eventually, but I hope we get there sooner rather than later. My hope is that it ends with a negotiated settlement uh, through diplomacy and through, you know, minimizing the continued number of casualties on both sides. I think the war in Ukraine ends. I think we know how it's going to end. I think it's going to end with Crimea being part of Russia. I think it's going to end with the Donbass republics being uh, independent but leaning Russian, being part of the Russian sphere of influence. And I think it's going to end with Ukraine not being part of NATO. And uh, that's where I think we, we, we end up. 
I think it's going to end up as sort of a kind of a neutral country, the way Finland used to be before the uh, dancing prime minister brought them into uh, into uh, into uh, NATO. So I think uh, that's where it ends. All right. Uh, now I hope we get there now, or a week from now, or a month from now. And not a year from now, after a lot of people die, and the worldwide supply chain and energy economy and uh, all sorts of other aspects that we're dependent on both Ukraine and Russia for get all continued moved out of whack. So I wish the United States would play a greater role in facilitating a diplomatic end to that war now, rather than uh, doing whatever we can to give money and weapons to the Ukrainians to prolong this war, which I think will end up in the same way. 800-848-9222. Virginia is in the Bronx. Hello, Virginia. Hi, Frank. I love your show. Thank you. There's no accounting for taste. Yeah, I wanted to know that if you go to a show, do you what position would you like to sit upstairs, downstairs, website, right side, front, and why? Oh, that's a good question. I generally like from the time I was a child, right? I generally like, particularly in movie theaters, I always like sitting next to the wall. I don't know why, but there was always something about sitting next to the wall that I enjoyed. Um, but in terms of a Broadway show, I would say whatever gives the best view of the festivities. I like the uh, I like the uh, the um, you know the upper deck, the balcony, but it's got to be pretty close. It's got to be so that you can you can still see a, a very a good view of the proceedings. But so if if I had a choice of a good a good seat on the um, the middle on the ground floor versus the balcony, I'd probably take the balcony. Good question, Virginia. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Uh, let me say hello to Gene at the Jersey Shore. Hello, Gene. Franco, how you doing? We're out here listening. Excellent. I love it. <laughs> hey, I got a question. Uh, if you could eliminate one thing from the face of the earth, wipe it off the map, back ne- retroactive to the day you were born, what would it be? No, no contest. Mosquitoes. The the mosquito. I absolutely think um, the mosquito is the deadliest animal on this planet. There are so many lives lost every year because of the mosquito. And I am one of those people that gets mosquito bites all the time and they, they itch and are very uncomfortable. So not only are they a nuisance for, for me and for the people around me, my loved ones, but they're killing people. And it's getting worse, unfortunately, because the glo- the world is getting hotter. The mosquito population is getting larger. So that is, while the rest of the insect population is declining, the mosquitoes are only growing in numbers. So I would love, I've said this before, if you go watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you learn that at least for a time in the future, the Klingons successfully eliminated the Tribbles from existence, right? Um... I wish humanity could unite to declare war on the mosquito. It is the it is a pestilence. It is a pest. It is something that should be wiped out. And uh, I am very concerned that if the mosquito is not eventually wiped out, and if artificial intelligence doesn't kill us, the mosquito will. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Um, let's try and squeeze in at least one more here. Alyssa is in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa. Hey, Frank. How are you? Great. Okay. My question is, if um, back 
160 years ago, we were in the middle of a civil war. Some would say that today we're in the middle of a political civil war. If you could climb into a time machine and between that time and this time go back and change one event that you feel would make us as united today as we are divided, where what event would you change? So between between the 1865 and today? Right, between the conflict and, and what do you think might just, you know, where it would flip, the, it would have been had a domino effect, and today we would be deeply united instead of deeply divided. Hmm. Um, whew, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'd want to think about that. I'm going to say maybe... Um, Maybe the Watergate scandal. That did a lot to sort of curtail public confidence. Winner, Matt Blaze, who? Sarah, Wisconsin. What life would you assume? Sarah in Wisconsin, call back. We'll give you a prize. For the rest of you, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. try to there's a number of things I always try to do on this show rarely am I successful one of them is I try to avoid discussing Donald Trump too much and I've explained the reasons why because it is impossible to have a reasonable conversation about Donald Trump the people that don't like Donald Trump they will they see just red whenever they hear the name Trump they see red and are completely incapable of rational thought and rational thinking um, the people that love Donald Trump they just are incapable of recognizing that Donald Trump is a human being that doesn't walk on water and that does make mistakes, and uh, sometimes he is wrong. And so people get so passionate about anything Trump-related that I try to kind of avoid the word. Uh, When I do these four hours, I try to not even say the word. But... Something interesting is happening, and um, it looks like this this investigation that led to this Mar-a-Lago raid could be coming to a head. There is um, a long-standing culture, a long-standing axiom in the Department of Justice about not charging people for a crime if it's a politically charged case that could affect the upcoming election, right? So the indication is uh, that there, the, the blackout period begins on September 10th. So if there are going to be indictments of someone of, like Donald Trump or some politically charged person that could affect the outcome of the election— Chances are it would come before September 10th. 
And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because the more that we're learning, so DOJ officials, for instance, they're likely to wait until after the November election to announce any charges against Trump if they determine he broke laws. That's from uh, Bloomberg. Bloomberg citing sources familiar with the investigation. Here's a quote from this article that Chris Strom wrote in Bloomberg. Under longstanding departmental policy, prosecutors are barred from taking investigative steps or filing charges for the purpose of affecting an election. Of course, that's a rule that James Comey just ignores. Or helping a candidate or party traditionally 60 days before an election. This year, that would be September 10th. So, um... I don't think we're going to see an indictment within the next eight days. So Bloomberg is reporting that if there is an indictment of Trump or someone in his inner circle, it's likely to be after the election. Now, why are we mentioning this? Because some one of the frustrating things to me about this whole Trump investigation has been that a lot of the people that uh, that have been talking about it aren't really covering it from a legal perspective. They're covering it from a political perspective. That's why I've enjoyed my conversations with people like Alan Dershowitz, because I feel like he's a straight shooter. Two other people that I have a great deal of respect for are Andrew Napolitano and Andrew McCarthy. Judge Andrew Napolitano was the youngest superior court judge in New Jersey history. He's a constitutional law scholar. He was the senior judicial analyst for Fox News for a long time. He's been a guest on this show. He's doing his own podcast, which is a very popular show. He is uh, one of the most sought-after legal guests on TV and radio. And he's a very knowledgeable guy that I respect. Andrew McCarthy was a former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of um, New York. And he did things like prosecute the terrorists that tried to blow up the World Trade Center the first time. So both of them came out yesterday in interviews that I heard and said that what we know of this Trump situation so far is that it's pretty likely that Donald Trump did something illegal. And I'm going to play for you what they said so that you can hear it in their words. And I'm not a lawyer I don't pretend to be an expert in this, so I want to make clear, this is not my judgment, this is theirs. But these are two people who I really respect, their legal acumen and their legal mind. But I have a question for you. And I don't like my own answer on this. But here's the question. If Donald Trump did something illegal along the lines of what he's potentially being accused of here. Should he be indicted? Should he be prosecuted? And I never thought that my answer to this would be no. But I honestly think prosecutors have discretion for a reason. Now, sometimes prosecutors can use that discretion not to prosecute a whole variety of crimes, as Alvin Bragg outlined he'd be doing in that memo, as the former DA in San Francisco, Kessa Boudin, indicated that he would be doing, as Tiffany Caban, when she ran for DA in Queens, indicated that she'd be doing. But prosecutors have discretion, and they can choose to bring cases or not bring cases. And my concern is that if Donald Trump is indicted, just as Lindsey Graham said, that this would lead to 
literal riots in the streets. And I don't think Lindsey Graham meant it as a threat, and I certainly don't mean it as a threat. But I think there are millions of people, literally millions of people in this country, that if Donald Trump were fingerprinted and hauled away in handcuffs, irrespective of what the evidence showed, that there would be violence. Now, what does that mean? I realize the logical implication of what I'm saying is, well, does that mean you should defer to the angry mob as long as they have the potential to be violent? No. I think what you have to do is weigh the magnitude of the transgression with the likely outcome of prosecution. Now, if people don't know what we're talking about and what Trump is accused of doing or potentially of doing, let's listen first to uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano. He was on Newsmax TV last night explaining his take on this situation. I think that the DOJ has already decided to ask a grand jury in either Miami or uh, or Washington, D.C., to indict former President Trump. I make that statement reluctantly. It gives me no joy to say it, as you know, Bob, from all the years we've worked together. Uh, but I say it because I don't think that Merrick Garland and the DOJ, and I understand the federal mindset. I've worked with it for so many years. I know how prosecutors think. They would not have gone through all this unless they really had something there. And what they've tipped their hands on, the little that they've revealed to the public and what they've shared uh, with Judge Cannon is more than enough to indict him and probably enough to convict him. So they won't do this before the election uh, in November because the DOJ has a rule not to indict a political figure within 90 days, 90 days preceding an election. But I think you can expect an indictment before Christmas. Now, Napolitano is sort of playing the role of um, analyst there in terms of explaining the federal mindset, uh, mindset and the likelihood of this happening. He didn't get much into the substance of what Trump did in that clip. I'm hoping in these uh, clips from Andrew McCarthy on yesterday's edition of the Cats at Night show that um, that he does explain that. Because I was listening, and I, I have to tell you, I've been one of these people that I hear the news about this investigation, I hear the news about this raid, my eyes almost glaze over and I get dizzy. It becomes so difficult to follow. All right. Classified material. You're not supposed to do that. Okay, he says he declassified it. All right, the federal, the uh, FBI says it doesn't matter if he declassified it. Espionage Act, obstruction. What's the obstruction? Oh, grand jury information. What's the grand jury? Andrew McCarthy, a a conservative and a writer for National Review, and again, a guy that uh, uh, helped convict, um, you know, uh, the bomber of the. Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, the uh, bomber of the World Trade Center back in 1993, he was on with Peter King, Ed Cox, and John Katsimatidis, and he did a good job, I think, explaining exactly what the evidence suggests that Trump did. Andy, today or yesterday, you pretty much come out you know, changing your view about whether an indictment is probable or possible. Uh, yeah, well, how do you feel uh, on that? Well, yeah, Pete, I think... What I tried to qualify because I'm a lawyer, so by nature I'm a weasel, right? So <laughs> at the at the beginning, what I said was, um, you know, I don't think they want to get into classified information and records retention. I think they just wanted their stuff back. But my qualification was, you know, they had said in a very kind of uh, cryptic way 
that they had probable cause of obstruction of justice without telling us what the evidence was. And then on Tuesday, they laid out what a lot of their evidence is. And I think it's a much stronger case once you get to see what they have. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll bring it, but they have pretty strong evidence of some false okay, statements. Andy, Andy that, based on that evidence, how clear-cut you think it would be to get a verdict of guilty, or is it too much of a risk you know, to bring those charges against the president of the United well, States? Well, if he's charged in D.C., regardless, they could say he was Spider-Man, and they'll find him guilty. Ask uh, uh, Andy, based I on think, his experience. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think they could. Could they get a conviction, especially in, in D.C.? Sure. I think you're probably more um, the person to ask this question to than I am, because my sense is for the Democrats, they like having Trump be front and center, and it may be better for them not to indict him. They might, you know, what they like, I think, is having this hanging over his head and the idea that, you know, um, we're talking about Trump instead of talking about the Biden administration. Uh, Biden's polls are suddenly up. The midterms don't look as bad for the Democrats as they did a few weeks ago. Now, all this could change. Um, but I just think if they indict him and they take him off the field, I've always thought what they really want is to run against him. They think he can win the nomination, but they'll beat him in the in the general election. Um, and, and, and that's my you know sort of amateur political view of it. As far as a legal matter is concerned, it's kind of a straight up false statements case. I think they could you know, they could bring it and win it. But there's also a lot of downside to prosecuting a former president, not least that it shows the two tier justice system we have, because what they'd be talking about prosecuting him for is what they let Hillary Clinton get away with. I thought that was some of the most level headed two and a half minutes of commentary that I've heard on the radio in a long time. So the operative thing, uh, the couple of operative things that Andrew McCarthy said there one, he said this is a pretty straight-up false statements case, that if they bring it, they're going to win it. He also said that, that even though they have the evidence to indict, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll bring it. Now, that's, those are legal opinions. And then he gets into the political realm, and he says he thinks it might be better politically for the Democrats not to indict him because he's always felt that uh, what the Democrats want to do is run against Trump. I think that's true. And I think that's part of the reason that uh, President Biden took the tone that he did in the speech yesterday, last night. I think um, the Democrats, you know, the best thing for them in terms of fundraising is amping up their base into an anti-Trump frenzy. And I think McCarthy is right on both counts. But my question for you is if that McCarthy is right and this is a straight up false statements case. If Trump did something illegal, whether you're a Trump supporter or not, and please, I know it's difficult to try to be objective and to put blinders on, but whether you're a Trump supporter or not, do you think the Department of Justice should seek an indictment against him? 800-848-9222. My answer is no, because I think it would be too damaging to the country. In fact, I would love to see, and I urge the same thing, uh, for, of Trump doing this for Hillary, but I would love to see Joe Biden do the, it's He's not going to do this, but I would love to see Joe Biden do the same thing that Gerald Ford did with Nixon in order to allow the country to move on and as a unifying moment offer a pardon, to, a full pardon to Donald Trump for any crimes he may have committed. 
I think that would do several things. One, it sort of shows that he's trying to extend an olive branch in terms of the, uh, well, again, he's not going to do this because he did the exact opposite in his remarks yesterday, to uh, the people that uh, really detest his policies. That's number one, meaning Biden's policies. Two, as Ford said, when you issue a pardon, if the person accepts that pardon, they're also accepting responsibility for those crimes. So it's a way of getting Trump to accept responsibility, but uh, it's also a way of bringing the country together. So for those reasons, I'd love to see it's not going to happen. But if I were advising Biden, that's what I would do. Now, I'm listening to McCarthy. And he's talking with Pete King and John Katzmatidis and Lydia Serrani, who you heard there, and uh, Ed Cox. And some people, and I was in this camp, still a little confused. What did Trump do? And Ed Cox asked a follow-up question, and Andrew McCarthy, I think, did a good job explaining what it's likely that Trump did do. Ed Cox, you've read the the uh, response from, by the DOJ, 50-plus pages. What do you think? W- w- under what statute would they indict him? I don't quite understand. The Espionage Act, they toss that in just to make it sort of sexy. But I don't see that that is ridiculous to do a former president under that. You can indict the, a ham sandwich, I, well, as we, I all, we always that. say. <clears throat> but are they going to do something stupid like that, indict a president of the United States? Well, be For sure. Justice. For sure. Of, Over some documents. Third, third yeah. world country. Well, well, I, it's it's silly. But the, you do need a statute that's relevant. What's, what, I thought here well, that I the think, Presidential think. Records Act was controlling, and that doesn't have any criminal uh, part to it. Yeah, Ed, there's two things about that. One is the the obstruction statutes are pretty straightforward. What they would say is that he obstructed oh, the sure. proceeding. He provided false statements. The uh, one of them is a is a sworn certification that was to be given to the sure, jury. sure, but but that he didn't give it, and and uh, you need an underlying crime if well, you're going to. What about Hillary? What she did? She wiped away servers. They were cracking open cell phones. They burned records. I mean, this yeah, well, is I th- that's yeah, that's a political their argument. Their argument, their best argument, is to say that the Hillary case is the is the barometer here, and that even if they have a prosecutable case, just like they had a prosecutable case against her. The better part of valor is to not bring it. My, my question um, is still is where is the crime here? Obstruction well, needs you, an underlying if crime. A, if you cause a false statement to be made to a grand jury, which there's pretty strong evidence of in what they laid out. Now, obviously, we haven't heard the other side of it, but, you know, they've laid out a pretty strong case. That the president, that the right former thing. president made a false statement? Yes. But, what, are you kidding? Did he go before did a grand jury? Look, they asked him, do you have any classified documents? He said, yes, I do. Here are 38 of them, but I've had a, I've caused a diligent search to be done, and there's no more here. And then they find out there's evidence that there's more there. They get a warrant, and they find 100 more. But he so said that he declassified them. Sure, that's a legal argument. I don't, I don't think he you can do it. Say, I don't he can. didn't say he declassified them. Part of their argument is we gave him a subpoena saying, give us the classified documents. He didn't come back and say, I don't have any because I've declassified them already. He came back and said, here's 38 of them, and I've looked around. I don't have anything more. I think that's a, a pretty clear explanation of what Trump is possibly guilty of. 
And again, as Andrew McCarthy said, we haven't heard the other side. And maybe there is an other side, but it's pretty compelling. I still don't think, and again, I hate to have a two-tiered system of justice, one for politicians and the famous and the wealthy who have a lot of supporters and one for everybody else. I still don't think he should be indicted for the good of the country. I don't. Uh, Maybe there's something else that they could work out, but uh, I still don't think he should be indicted. Let me as a voter take that into account if he runs for for, uh, for election again. That's my take. I'd like to hear from you. You've heard McCarthy. You've heard Napolitano. Dershowitz, I believe, this week has also said he thinks an indictment is likely. I don't think they should. My question for you is just that. Should they? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'm going to uh, go. I like this method of rewarding the uh, people that have been holding the longest, so we'll stick with that. Michael is in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah, this whole thing is nonsense, and you're 100% right. There will be massive rioting if they put Trump in jail. If they indict him, this country is cooked, all right? I'm telling you, what they're doing to the Supreme Court judges, marching in front of their homes, I will march in front of one of these bastards' homes. If I have to stay there 24 hours a day, I will yell my head off with a bullhorn. They won't be able to sleep. Michael, um— and I hope that won't be in your capacity as a National Guardsman. But uh, if just to play devil's advocate, obviously, you, you know where I'm coming from. So I don't think they should indict him either. But just I'm to, not going to burn down the city because okay, that's what Democrats uh, Hang on, do. let me ask you the question. I'll make sure that uh, none of those— All right, okay. We have a pretty good idea where that conversation is going. Uh, 800-848-9222. Wilford is in New Jersey. Hello, Wilford. Hello. Thank you for accepting my call. Now, what what, what we need to do, we could— you know, there's all those Democrats that still hate they hate Trump and they want to vote Democratic. Well, we could change at least 25 to 40 percent of them. If you all would, didn't uh, Hillary Clinton's manager for her campaign was on the one that was on trial a couple months ago? What, what was it? What's your question? Was he on trial? Yes. Right, right. Well, didn't he admit under oath that Hillary Clinton paid and wrote that, you know, the spy stuff on Trump? No, no. Uh, I think you're talking about the Steele dossier, and no, he did not admit that under oath, and, and that's not true. That came from uh, – well, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Steele dossier situation because it's not at all re- related to this. The question for you, and this is the question I want you to answer, if Trump committed a crime, of making false statements to a grand jury, should he be indicted? Yes or no? Why or why not? 800-848-9222. David in the Bronx, hello. Yes, good evening. All right. As you know, I am no fan of Donald Trump. You're kidding me. I literally believe was the worst president we've ever had in our entire history. Maybe uh, the one before the Civil War is probably worse. But... I'll say this. Unless the charges are more serious than what you just laid out, they can't charge him because what will happen is people like that Michael person that called you a few minutes ago will be out on the streets causing all kinds of mayhem, which we do not need and which is not good for this country. On the other hand, 
if they come up with substantially more severe charges like espionage, which is a possibility, he must be charged because no person, no matter what their former position was, should be above the law if the charges are serious. You know, uh, David, it's very interesting and good call. It's very interesting. You have Michael on the right, David on the left. I'm probably somewhere in the center. And all three of us are in agreement uh, as to what should happen. You'll hear uh, perhaps an alternative view from Alex Barnard in a second, but let me get to a couple of these folks that have been patiently holding. Alan Yonkers, hello. Yeah, hi, Frank. You know, I think if he, uh, the ex-president is indicted on an obstruction charge, uh, I think, though it was a messy process and DOJ and uh, Trump's lawyers should have worked out uh, a better process um, on both sides, I do think that he shouldn't be uh, indicted because it doesn't look like uh, anything has been breached or compromised uh, at the compound. It yeah. doesn't look like any of these files have been stolen. It seems like it's now since uh, uh, this has occurred, there's been a smooth transition. And if he is indicted, uh, you know, what will happen is this will go through the courts. The Supreme Court will probably have to hear it at some point because it would be too much unrest in the country. It would be something similar to when President Nixon, uh, in the last-ditch effort to save his presidency, uh, uh, tried to say that the tapes were uh, – the Watergate tapes were executive privilege. But well, the and, Supreme and, Court and, shot that down. Yeah, thank you, Al. And again, um, as I hope you guys learned from our discussion about the Presidential Records Act – um, the Presidential Records Act didn't take place until 1978. So there's a strong case to be made that Nixon could have burned those tapes as it was his property because prior to 1978 in the Presidential Records Act, that was those were presidential property. That's my interpretation of the law. Chester A. Arthur burned all his papers, right? That was not, that's no longer the case. But the question is simply, if Trump committed this crime of making false statements to a grand jury— should he be indicted? Why or why not? Uh, eight, well, actually, let me break here. Uh, Alex Barnard is here. He's uh, on top of the world today. We'll tell you why in a, in a bit. And uh, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you as well. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Everybody just have a good time And we gon' make 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. That's LMFAO. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, join our Facebook group. Just search uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And uh, we're also on Twitter, at Frank Morano, which may soon offer an edit button. And I, as a Twitter Blue subscriber, which so far as I can tell, you know, somebody wrote me a question about wasting my money on gambling. My subscription to Twitter Blue is, I think, 2 or $3 a month. I've been a subscriber for maybe four or five months. So far, that has been the biggest waste of money in my life. Whatever it is, the $30 that I've spent on that or whatever it is, I have gotten nothing from that. But if I get access to an edit button on Twitter, then that will make it all worth it. So we'll keep an eye on that. 800-848-9222. Talking about uh, the legal analysis from some scholars that I really respect, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, uh, former assistant U.S. attorney Andrew McCarthy, uh, Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz, and they all make the case that Trump broke the law. And it looks pretty compelling, like he made false statements to a grand jury. Now, I am the people's talk show host. I am the guy that hates elitism and hates elitists and loves to see people treated like everybody else. And yet, I never thought I'd be saying this, I still don't think even though this is a crime that Trump committed, I still don't think they should charge him because I think that it would be so damaging to the country. That's my contention. Now, if Trump shoots someone on Fifth Avenue, as is always, you know, as he himself said he would be able to do without losing support, then I think, of course, you should charge him. I think the question is the value of the crime versus the value of the damage that it does to see such a polarizing and popular figure indicted. Uh, 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Uh, first of all, have a great weekend. Enjoy Thank you. Your Labor Day. Thanks a lot. You too. I'm, I'm actually off Monday, so I'll uh, probably get the second day off this year. As far as what you're talking about, I agree with you 100%, Frank. Uh, the only thing is I think what's going to eventually happen is uh, they're going to make a deal with Trump and tell him, listen, we're not going to indict you as long as you decide not to run Mm. before. And also, Frank, before I go, I work two jobs. I'm a huge Trump supporter, but I don't have time to riot. (laughs) I got to pay my bills. Well, you're not the guy. You're not the kind of person I'm worried about, Joe. But anyway, have a great weekend, all right, Frank? Uh, you too, Joe. Happy Labor Day. 800-848-9222. Well, um, Alex Barnard is here, and uh, he is looking about uh, four or five inches taller than normal. Uh, that, uh, that um, you know, uh, strut that he does that led to him being injured a few months ago is uh, very much back because um, two and a half hours ago, the world of music was forever changed when uh, Alex Barnard's band, Lesbian Dance Theory, uh, released their new single, Live Stream Crimes. And so far, 
It's on iTunes. It's uh, it's everywhere. It's on Spotify. So far, this is all everyone is talking about. I was actually concerned before we got on the air. I was looking at the downloads for this song. I was concerned that not as many people would be listening today because people are actually out listening to this song. All the clubs are playing it. A lot of the bars are requesting it. The people at the um, the Irish pub at Atlantic City, they've requested it for their jukebox there. There's a lot of interest in this song. It's called Livestream Crimes. And so Alex said to me, very smart guy sometimes, he said to me yesterday, he said, do me a favor, because I, I was going to hear it for the first time with you on the show. He says, do me a favor, listen to the song first, right, before you before you play it on air. So I said, all right, I'll listen to it. Clearly, there's a reason he wants me to listen to it. And it is in the death metal, death metal or death metal? Death metal. Death yeah. metal Close genre, up. okay, yeah. which we're going to talk a little bit more about death metal in a second. Death metal is not really my thing, just so people know. I, I don't know what my thing is, but I, it's not my thing. It's definitely that, Al Jolson. That, be, that being said... You know, as far as as far as death metal songs go, I think this is pretty good. So I want you to listen to it. It's called Livestream Crimes. We're gonna I'm not gonna play the whole song because it's it's lengthy and we don't want to have to pay Alex additional royalties. But um, then we'll talk to Alex about w- what this song is about. But I want you to listen to a little bit of it. And this is a radio safe version. If you want to hear the unvarnished, uh, a hardcore version of this, you're gonna have to download it on the iTunes or wherever else. But this is a version that we're comfortable playing on the radio. This is uh, live stream crimes from Lesbian Dance Theory. a bit of the song that is just uh, tearing up the charts. It's called Livestream Crimes. And in spite of my advice, uh, Alex Barnard, who created that song, d- is actually not naming his band Lesbian Dance Theory, but you're not. calling it something else. What are you yeah, calling we're, it? Uh, the name of the band is actually called Face Stealer. B- big mistake. Big yeah, mistake. I, I guess so. Yeah. We asked Sid Rosenberg yesterday in the hallway, uh, what's a better name for a band Face stealer or lesbian dance theory, and he said, "He said, come on, it's not even a serious question." So, well, Sid, Sid also did say, to be fair, that he said something to the effect of, "Oh, you know, metalheads are uh, just going to be a, a bunch of losers. They they just uh, 
They just play in bars in Westchester doing Metallica covers. Well, fair enough. Well, so it is interesting. That that song did remind me a little bit of the uh, Metallica song uh, Master of Puppets. Are you familiar with that song? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so uh, do you see the uh, similarity between that, uh, the, the instrumentation and Master of Puppets? A little bit. I actually was more inspired by a song from that same album called The Thing That Should Not Be. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'm up on that, but uh, I know Master of Puppets. Yeah, see, this is Master of Puppets, right? So you can kind of hear the similarity, right? You can hear. So I know this song primarily from um, because it was the Michael Savage show theme song for the Savage Nation. This is how each show was began. And when I was listening to Alex Barnard's song, I was almost waiting to hear the Michael Savage disclaimer, you know, the psychological nudity. But it was good. So now this song is about um, live streaming violent criminal acts. Yeah, essentially, yeah. I uh, I was thinking about um, I can't remember which horrible incident it was. Like one of the one of these school shootings, like the. Uh, Somebody had live streamed it, and there was another instance where they, I think um, there was that there, there was that couple that I believe tormented somebody who was psychologically or had had mental disabilities on on Facebook and ended up killing him. Right. I think a few years ago, yeah. I was sort of reminded of that, and I thought, well, that's just you know horrible. And metal usually sings about horrible things, so well, okay. why don't I do that? And, that, and so you're not going to live stream God, a no. violent no. crime wave. Um, that leads me to I, I get I get that uh, death metal death metal is um, very um, very rough and very edgy. But why does so much of the subject matter of death metal have to be about such uh, violent stuff? Why, why why is there never a death metal song or maybe there is about something upbeat? Like why can't you sing in those same tones about? You know, rainbows, lollipops, and daisies or something. I mean, there there is actually some more positive-sounding death metal bands out there. But um, I think it's just sort of, m- more than anything, a morbid fascination with things like that. It's n- It has nothing to do with, you know, any proclivities that uh, people might have. Um I think it just, yeah, it just has to do with something that, you know, it's, there are a lot of things in this world that are kind of horrible, and uh, at the end of the day, I mean, you can't really deny it. And that's you singing there also? That's me singing, that's me playing guitar, I programmed the drums and the bass, mixed and mastered, wrote the lyrics. Oh, so there's not a drummer there? No. no. Oh, so you, you, Mr. Wanting to Ban Artificial Intelligence, used artificial intelligence no, to not, produce this song? No, it's not artificial, no, 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 I used, uh... You know, like the MIDI notes with uh, like uh, a, a drum sampler, essentially. Right, so th- this yeah. was um, this. You're the one man band, essentially. Yeah, here. essentially. All right, so yeah. um, I wrote that, the song. Does that mostly hurt with your the buddy. throat after you sing like that? No, I've learned how to do it uh, in a way that doesn't hurt my throat. Really? At all? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's very impressive. But if you're the only person in the band, why can't you change the name from Face Stealer to Lesbian Dance Theory? I already paid for the artwork, Frank. I'm not going back now. But is you there know? band artwork or is there album? There's band artwork. There's album artwork. There's everything. All right. Yeah. So how, how do people download this this live streamed crime? You can check it out on Spotify and iTunes. Face Stealer live streamed crimes is the name of the song. But they can also get it through Lesbian Dance Theory. Uh. No, no, well, they, maybe no. We'll see. Just live stream yeah. crimes. Yeah, li- if you look up live streamed crimes or face stealer, 
live streamed crimes. Yeah, live streamed crimes. Streamed. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this is exciting. This is good. Is this the first uh, single that you had have had in wide release like this? Yeah, this is the first single I've had out on Spotify and iTunes. When I wrote like electronic dance music and pop music as a teenager, I kind of uh, I put it out on stuff like SoundCloud. But this is the first uh, song that I've actually first first of all first song I've released in five years. Second of all, uh, first song that I've ever released on anything like Spotify. This is big. It's like Rick Astley, your big comeback um, after trying after a um, after a lengthy lengthy time away. Uh, All right, well that's exciting. Good luck with this. Um, I do got one person that um, that said an emailer that said that this song is the answer to insomnia, but I don't agree with that because it cool. How can you sleep? Yeah. When you hear that song, we'll you play know, it again. Totally as we go to break. There's the, there's nothing more peaceful to me. I'm see, I'm deadly serious. There's nothing more peaceful to me than popping on something completely aggressive and walking around in the park on a nice day. See, Al, I was going to say the opposite. I'm adding this to my gym pump up, Jen. Right. Yeah, yeah I, right. It does kind of. My sister was telling me she's training for the marathon now, and so she has to run every day or every other day, 14, 15, 16 miles. And she said the biggest challenge for her, is she's getting bored, even when she's listening to podcasts or whatever. I'm going to suggest this to her. I appreciate as that. part of her uh, her pump up, uh, you know, her pump up methodology. But no, what I honestly what I was going to say, you know, one of my most fond memories from college is, you know, it was a nice sunny day. Walking around outside on the sp- in spring, people were out on the quad, relaxing, and I'm listening to a band called Demolition Hammer. All so, right. you know, okay. What what made you choose to focus on death metal rather than a, a genre of music where, say, people can understand the lyrics that are being sung? I mean, I feel like I enunciate pretty well. I think you do by death metal standards, but yeah, like, not, if you compare it to like an uh, like a old uh, adult standard or something from the American Songbook. You know, you have a tough, you have an easier time understanding a Bing Crosby song than the lyrics there than well, you yeah, might at of course. live streamed crimes. I don't know. I think I, I'm more, I always focus more on the music than the lyrics for me. And I think that, uh, it, it, especially when I write too, I, I, the music is the first thing that I do. It's never, it's never the lyrics. Um, so I, and to me, there's just a feeling that I get when I hear the music that right. is That's unlike great. anything else. That's great. All right. So the song is Live Streamed Crimes, and it's available on uh, iTunes, Spotify. Do people have to pay for this? You can. I mean, it would be nice, but you don't have to. If you, if you have well, a Spotify subscription, you know. Okay. So if they have yeah. for Spotify, they can listen or, for or free. ITunes, yeah, or Apple Music or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All you right. can listen for free. Uh, very exciting. Hey, did you have something you wanted to add on what we were talking about yes, on the Trump indictment? I did, actually. And I my comment is, one, I do think he should be indicted because, just as you said, I don't think there should be a two-tiered system of justice for people who are famous or anything like that. I also do think, though, it's a no-win situation if he's indicted or not, because I think, you know, if he is indicted, then his supporters are going to rally around and, you know, raise hell. But I also think that if he's not indicted, people who who don't like him are going to raise hell. Mm. I think it's it's either way, you know, you're going to see something that's potentially not very good for the country, but just going on the principle of the thing, I think he should be indicted. Well, it is interesting, and thank you for that, Alex. Um, it course. is interesting. A friend of mine who's very uh, liberal, I don't know if he wants me to use his name, he's kind of well-known, but a friend of mine who's very liberal, he is frustrated beyond beyond the limit with Alvin Bragg. Cannot stand the Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. 
because Alvin Bragg chose not to bring charges against Donald Trump. Those two ADAs had worked on that case against Trump for a while, and Bragg chose not to charge him. And this guy, who's very progressive, he's done with Alvin Bragg after that. And so maybe what Alex is saying is right. If the Department of Justice does the same thing, maybe there'll be frustration on the left with the failure to indict. But, all right, this was somewhat amusing. This is the uh, an anchor, a global news anchor by the name of Farah Nasser, who um, was on television. And it looks like you can't see it, but she's on television doing the news and she swallows a fly during a live broadcast. Now. This is pretty impressive. Listen to this. Eight weeks of nonstop torrential rain. A national emergency has been invoked. Has been invoked, but the weather in Pakistan, extreme weather, is alarming. Nita Garcha reports. I mean, you talk about poise. Farah Nasser, Canada's Global News, she kept on track after swallowing a fly during a live broadcast. I mean, that's incredible. Talking about flooding in Pakistan, and she swallows a fly. She doesn't freak out. She finishes. That was impressive, I must say. It reminded me, I don't know that I have the audio of this anywhere. Maybe I'll look for it over the weekend and bring it in Monday or Tuesday if I do. It reminded me, when I was in college, I was a news anchor, at my college radio station, WNYU, founded by Cousin Brucie, which we now know. And um, I was a news anchor, but the sports guy was out. So I was doing news and sports on this the afternoon show. The, I think it was called the, um, the New Afternoon Show. I don't know if it's still on. But um, I got this terrible nosebleed during the sportscast. And my nose starts gushing blood. But I didn't want to stop. So I kept doing this this sportscast while there's blood spilling all over the place. So I'll try and find the uh, the audio of that. But um, I uh, did not handle it nearly as well as uh, as Farah Nasser did. So hats off to her. Hats off to her. Hey, we got denunciations coming up in about 10 minutes. And uh, in the meantime, we'll leave you with uh, a couple more bars of live streamed crimes. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Sorry for party rocking. 
This is also LMFAO. This is uh, Sorry for Party Rockin'. Um, and uh, it's, it's sort of a an answer to the last song that we just played. Um, all right. 800-848-9222. That is 1-800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything we're covering thus far, a lot of people holding. Uh, let me um, get to at least a few of them. Rich is in Staten Island. Hello, Rich. Hey, Frank, good morning. Uh, I think you have the answer right there regarding mosquitoes. Uh, <laughs> Farrah should actually set up a broadcast in uh, maybe Swamplands and maybe somewhere in Staten Island rather than spring the mosquitoes. She could just do a live broadcast and swallow all the mosquitoes she can. <laughs> swallow the mosquitoes. <laughs> all right, Rich, that's an idea. That's an idea. Everybody's uh, we're, we're in a funny mood today here on this show. No post-show meeting today, by the way, uh, which is interesting. But I see, here's, here's my day uh, today. I well, I'll tell you later. I mean, we don't need to get into this now. Uh, the highlight of my day yesterday was uh, a haircut. I don't look as good as Kenneth, but uh, I do feel a lot better. That you know what you know when a haircut when a haircut gets annoying where it's too long when the back of your head is just unwieldy, and that's where I was yesterday. But as you know, my barber has very specific times that he will be seen, so I was determined to get there on time. But of course, he doesn't take credit cards. He used to take Venmo, doesn't take Venmo anymore. So I had to go to the bank first and get cash. Now, fortunately, I had just gotten a check. And I, um, I have to... Uh... Oh, by the way, they wouldn't give me a debit card right away. They said I have to wait 30 days after changing my address before I can come in and apply for a debit card. So I still have no debit card or, or uh, ATM card. That, this, is, this is the life of my financial transaction. But... I go to the bank. I deposit this check that I had. I, I get thirty-five. Uh, I get forty dollars in cash, and they said, "How do you want? Do you want just two twenties?" I said, "No," because I knew I was going to have to park on Friday, and I want to be able to give the ga- valet guy a couple of bucks, a couple of singles, a nice little gratuity, because I'm a generous guy, man of the people. People's talk show host is the guy you're listening to right now. So I said, "Give me f- five singles." So they give me a twenty, a ten, a five, and five singles. Great. So I think my haircut was um, was uh, twenty five dollars. I gave my bar my barber thirty dollars. He was happy, and here I've got ten dollars, five dollar bill, and five singles. So then I get to the um, radio station, right? And the first thing I do when I get here is I fill up a forty ounce water bottle. And that 40-ounce water bottle is good for four hours. And it's great. We have very delicious water here, spring water, two giant water jugs, and usually some backup waters to fill the water cooler. And I look around, and I look around, and I see we are out of water everywhere. I turn to Frank Diaz, who has some position in our news hierarchy. I'm not sure of his formal title, but does a great job as a news anchor and doing all sorts of things. And I said to Frank Diaz, I said, Frank Diaz, what is going on here? There's no water. He says, there is no water anywhere in the building. Nowhere in the building. Nowhere in the building. When does it stop? And he said, uh, I'm going to go out and uh, I'm going to buy some. So I'll get you a bottle. I said, great. This is great. So I said, let me be a, a mensch here. Let me take out $9, right? 
and give Frank Diaz $9. I said, I'll buy as much water as $9 will get us. Uh, water for everybody, at least $9 worth of it. And um, I keep $1 for the valet. And I, I, then I go and record something. And then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you know, is a dollar really enough for the valet? And is $9 enough to get everybody here water? With the understanding that I did already purchase them pizza. So I said, let me go back to Frank Diaz and give him my credit card. So this way I can keep the cash that I have and have him go hog wild in waters for everyone. But it was too late. Frank Diaz was already gone. And I never got to give him my credit card. He comes back and gives me a one 20-ounce bottle of water. Now, for a guy that is used to 40 ounces during the course of a four-hour program, 20 ounces is insufficient, but it's certainly not worth $9. Where did the rest of my uh, water money go? I think um, something fishy going on here. Outrageous. Something fishy. And uh, those fish might be swimming in spring water. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Happy Friday, TGIF. It is Friday on a Labor Day weekend. Does it get any better? Well, I'll be honest with you, things could be a bit better for the folks on my list. That's right. This is a list of people that you do not want to be on. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's places, sometimes it's entities. In any event, There are a whole lot of folks that are on this week's edition of The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. That's right. Let me begin with Jeremy Boland. Jeremy Boland is an assistant principal in Greenwich, Connecticut. He's the assistant principal of Cos Cobb Elementary School, a public school. Caught in an undercover video by a Project Veritas reporter admitting that he discriminates against conservative and Catholic teaching applicants so that he can better advance subtle progressive indoctrination in the classroom. He told this undercover Project Veritas reporter that he oversees the hiring of faculty and rejects applicants who espouse conservative or Catholic beliefs are older than 30, or sympathize with concerns about parental rights and education. What? First of all, that's awful. Second of all, not everybody that's Catholic is conservative. I mean, a lot of people think uh, Pope Francis is practically a communist. My Aunt Camille, I don't think she's voted for a uh, Republican since Lincoln. She's in a Catholic church every day. So, um... It's true that on issues like abortion and uh, euthanasia, 
Catholics tend to have a conservative political position. But on other issues like uh, social welfare spending, immigration, Catholics tend to have a liberal position. So uh, this guy is not just a bigot. The guy is not just discriminatory towards conservatives. He's also a buffoon. Jeremy Boland, I do denounce you. I want to denounce the brain surgeons that implemented New York's new conceal carry law. Um, You might have heard about this. I was on the Bernie and Sid show Friday, no, Thursday, talking about this. The new law took effect yesterday in places like Times Square, and the courts have allowed them to go into effect, but they might not remain that way for long. A federal judge blasted the state legislature and the governor for their, quote, unconstitutional response to a controversial ruling by the Supreme Court. Uh, Chief Judge, uh, Chief United States District Judge Glenn Sudeby said in a decision that was released Wednesday, quote, while pursuing the laudable goal of public safety and an attempt to curb ever-increasing mass shootings, the New York State Legislature has generated an unconstitutional statute. So while the judge ruled that the suit brought by the gun owners of America lacked standing, a decision that it might appeal, the legal win for the state legislature might prove short-lived because there are multiple other legal challenges here. The problem is it's confusing. No, Times Square, for instance, which they've dubbed a sensitive area, no one knows exactly where it begins. Additionally, as a practical matter, if you're worried about criminals having guns, do you think a lot of criminals have concealed carry permits? Of course they don't. The people that are most likely to have concealed carry permits are legal gun owners without criminal convictions. Thirdly, there's no magnetometers. There's no way to enforce this. Fourth, there's all sorts of weird provisions in this rule creating loopholes. If you're just walking through Times Square, you're allowed to keep your gun. You're allowed to do that without fear of penalty. So if you get stopped by a police officer as you're walking through Times Square uh, and you're walking kind of slowly, what? and let's say you were intending to stop in Times Square, why wouldn't you just say, oh, I'm just walking through? I mean, it's just, it's Inconsistent, confusing, and absurd. It's one of those California situations like we described yesterday. This was a law passed with a very laudable goal, but it was rushed. It was ill-conceived. It was just something that sounds good, like room fondle and magic thighs would say. This is the kind of law you only get when a state legislature and a governor is running for re-election. So, state legislature and everybody responsible for this, I do denounce you. I want to denounce Jared Adelman, a professor at Northern Illinois University. This professor says going maskless indoors is a manifestation of racism. Oh, Those of you, like me, who don't wear a mask indoors, little did you know, you are manifesting racism. That lady was right about me. So this professor outlined to his students 
that they all must wear masks while in his class, arguing that not wearing face masks is a manifestation of ableism and racism. Quote, this is a quote. Refusing to mask indoors is a manifestation of ableism and racism, an exercise of individual privilege that tells the most vulnerable that their health and the health of their loved ones does not matter. Thus, masks are required here. They are not optional. Now, shouldn't this be a a rule that the school dictates rather than the professor? At meantime, um, it is not clear that the school has any rule regarding masks being worn indoors. It's only this professor's rule. I think this is absurd. And this professor is sticking with this. And he says he will throw you right out of his class if you dare be maskless in, in his classroom. Professor Edelman, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the state of Alaska. I was really hoping, you know, when Sid invited me on the uh, Bernie and Sid show to talk about that Sarah Palin special election, that they would come back with that song, North to Alaska. And I told him, one, how great of a song it was. And two, I told him that John Katzmatidis liked it. And I thought we were all set with that song. And then sure enough, they come in with some other song, which was okay. But when you're expecting a great song like North to Alaska, and then you get a song that's not so great like... uh, LMFAO's apology for party rocking, it leads to a lot of disappointment. But anyway, um, this denunciation of Alaska has nothing to do with this ridiculous election rules that they've just subscribed to, which has two rounds of voting radically different from one another and the first round completely absurd and irrational. But um, Alaska, according to Bank rate.com is the least affordable state to retire in. If you look at all of the categories they considered, uh, they considered tax burden, they considered weather, they considered activities for retirees, they considered all sorts of things, culture and diversity. Um, Retirement age friends, Alaska is dead last, the worst state to retire in. The best state to retire in is not going to surprise you. Of course, it's Florida. There's a reason everybody retires there. Um, I want to denounce, so Alaska, I do denounce you. I also want to denounce Starbucks. Uh, I, uh, I've never been a big Starbucks fan in general, but now... The more that we're learning, thanks to some Starbucks employees that have taken to TikTok and other social media platforms, Starbucks is engaging in unprecedented union busting. For instance, the Starbucks in Chicago's Hyde Park neighborhood might look no different from any of the 15,000 other Starbucks stores in the United States. Still, as a new union location, it's part of a new growing organizing movement. The movement's growing so fast that it's prompting Starbucks to engage in the worst type of union-busting campaign, a manageable, manageable, imaginable, right. Uh, Jasper Booth Hodges lives five minutes from the union store in Hyde Park. I have worked 40 hours a week for over two years at this company. 
I am one of the main openers. And the former barista said he loves his job for the most part. I had such good rapport with so many customers. Then last month, Booth Hodges said he was fired in retaliation for leading the union push. This is crazy. Now, Starbucks is denying that. But nationwide, more than 230 locations have voted to join the Starbucks Workers United Union since last December. In total, um, nearly three-quarters of all votes cast have been in favor of unionizing. Labor experts say the speed and success of the movement is unheard of. But Starbucks is fighting tooth and nail to squash it, arguing that unions disrupt its employee relationship. I don't think it disrupts its employee relationship. I think, heaven forbid, a union would lead to some of these employees actually being paid a living wage and being treated a bit better. And if they don't want to unionize, they don't have to. I want to denounce the person or persons in San Jose, California, that stole a family's wheelchair accessible van. This wheelchair accessible van has been stolen for the second time in a matter of months. Now, last week it was found, but with significant damage. The wheelchair lift was removed. That's the most important part of it. And police arrested a man who they believe was driving the van. He wasn't identified, but he's facing charges of auto theft and all sorts of other things. But I think you've really got to be a first-class creep to steal a vehicle that's used to transport handicapped people. I mean, I don't care if you're on drugs or you're insane or you're just evil. If you're going to steal a wheelchair-accessible van, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you can go straight to hell. Uh, So whoever did that, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Ingrid Conley Abrams. Ingrid Conley Abrams is a school librarian at Columbia Grammar and Preparatory School in Manhattan, where tuition, this is a, I want to make clear, a grammar school. I can tell you what the tuition for Carmine's grammar school is going to be. It's going to be zero. But, um... Tuition at Columbia Grammar and Prep School in Manhattan is around $60,000. This librarian, Ingrid Conley Abrams, is not shy about promoting her beliefs and opinions. Uh, For instance, her Twitter biography included the phrase, gender is fake. Um, She frequently teaches in the classrooms. Do you know what she tweeted in 2015? And parents at this school who are paying $60,000 a year in tuition, they're pretty furious about this. She said, (laughs) burn white straight male librarianship to the ground. Not surprisingly, uh, several parents are incensed over Conley Abrams' presence at the school. At least one mother said she's been upset about it for years. How can I feel comfortable sending my white nine-year-old son into her library or classroom? 
What if my son wants to be a librarian? How safe and nurtured are my kids going to be by this person? She's exactly right. And I think Twitter has now suspended her account, which, you know, I'm not crazy about suspending people's accounts. But I'm also not crazy about having librarians at schools that tweet, burn white straight male librarianship to the ground. And so what does that mean if you're a white gay librarian? Is that okay? Do you not get burnt to the ground? Or what if you're a black straight male librarian? Is that okay? Do you have to hit all three, check all three of those boxes? Annoying. Um, Ingrid Conley Abrams, by now you've probably figured it out, but I do denounce you. I must also denounce Scott Spina of Roseland, New Jersey, um, a... New Jersey man posed as a former New England Patriots player, Tom Brady, in order to buy and sell Super Bowl rings that he claimed were gifts to Brady's family. This guy is just absurd. I don't know why you would do this. And uh, he's now being um, prosecuted for fraud, rightly so. Scott Spina I do denounce you. I must also denounce the city of Philadelphia. That's right. City of brotherly love. Kills me to do it. My friend Michael Faulkner lives there. My cousin Andrea lives there. I think my friends Virginia and Kevin live just right near there. And according to a new study, Philadelphia is the rudest city in America. That's right. The rudest city in America and has the rudest locals. Number two, what do you think it is? Memphis. Memphis. I would not have guessed that. If you gave me 30 guesses, I would not have guessed Memphis. And finally, I must, so Philadelphia, I do denounce you. And finally, I must denounce the film The The Last Airbender. Rotten Tomatoes has come out with the worst blockbusters of all time. Movies that made over $100 million at the domestic box office while dangling a sub-30% tomato meter in front of prospective viewers and a cacophonous camaraderie made up of all manner of mall cops, poorly disguised robots, talking chipmunks, and sparkling vampires, rehashed sequels and remakes made this list. It's a good list. It would be a good talk topic for us one day. And it's largely made up... uh, It's based on the people's rankings at Rotten Tomatoes. And sure enough, they found that the very worst blockbuster of all time, at least in terms of quality, is The Last Airbender. Last Airbender? And everybody responsible for it? I do denounce you. All right. Well, the Russia-Ukraine war is still very much in the news. Russia in general is in the news because of the uh, passing of Mikhail Gorbachev. We'll discuss all things Russia and Ukraine with Mark Sloboda, an American who now lives in Russia. And uh, according to his last last uh, appearance on the show, seems pretty sympathetic to the Russian cause in the Russia-Ukraine war. We'll get his take on what's happening there now. And uh, where he sees this whole situation going. Mark Sloboda joins us live from Russia. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
by Sting, who, by the way, is terrific in the first season of Only Murders in the Building. Absolutely phenomenal. I knew he was a great talent, and I knew he was very passionate about talking about tantric sex. I had no idea he was capable of being this funny and this self-deprecating. He is phenomenal. If you haven't seen Only Murders in the Building, do yourself a favor. As soon as this show is over, go and watch it, because it's just really terrific. Hey, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about what's happening in Russia these days. Uh, There is a war that has just passed its six-month anniversary. And one of the frustrating things for me is, is that in the United States, so much of the media seems to be focused on telling only one side of the story, which is the Ukrainian side. Now, uh, and by the way, almost every politician in Washington, Democrat and Republican, they seem to only be about promoting the Ukrainian side. Now, when I say that to people, either on the radio or at a bar or at a family function, people look at me as if I've just spit in their face. They said, what do you mean? There's not, there is only one side. This James Bond-style villain, Vladimir Putin. Uh, invaded his peace-loving neighbor that never attacked him. The fact is, I don't think Putin did the right thing in Russia, but the fact of the matter is, the truth about what happened and the context of the events that led to this conflict with Ukraine is much more nuanced than that. Again, I'm not excusing Putin invading Ukraine, but it would be nice to hear some of the context on American media. So what I've tried to do since this war started is present to you alternative views that you have not, and a diversity of alternative views. Not all people that agree the same way. Um, people in the United States, people in Russia, people in else, uh, other countries, people on the left, people on the right, people in between that are willing to tell a different narrative. One of those people has been Mark Sloboda. Uh, He is an American, but he is based in Moscow these days. He is a security and international affairs and security analyst based in Moscow and a former contributing political analyst at RT. Mark, thank you for joining me on the radio again. Frank, thanks for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on the other side of midnight again. Uh, the honor is uh, is all mine. Now, remind folks, uh, Mark, um, how long have you been in Russia and uh, how did you end up in Russia initially? Yeah, uh, almost two decades. Um, and um, I mean, there are several reasons, but the primary reason is my wife. Uh, my wife, uh, I met in Boston when uh, she was working for uh, her company's global headquarters there, and I had just got out of the military and was uh, working as a semiconductor engineer. The American military, uh, to be clear. Yeah, the American. Yeah, the American military. I've never served in the Russian military. Um, uh, I was a nuclear reactor operator in, in the American, uh, the U.S. Navy, um, and I met my wife uh, actually in a golf club, um, and she is from Crimea. 
uh, which uh, some people, uh, I guess the U.S. government, still considers part of Ukraine. Um, and uh, my mother-in-law still lives in Crimea, and we have family all over East Ukraine, uh, in Kharkov, Odessa, uh, the, the Donbass. And um, on, one thing that is, is left behind is not only the Russian side of this intervention, uh, which to me is actually of secondary importance, but there has been a continual effort since the Ukrainian government was overthrown in 2014 by, I'm sorry, an openly U.S.-backed putsch, to, to completely silence the voices of the people of East Ukraine, which did not approve of the Maidan, did not overthrow of the government they had overwhelmingly elected. Not because Yanukovych was such a great guy, but lesser of two evils, they voted him in to keep the other people who would seize power mm -hmm. out. And there are tens of thousands of Ukrainians fighting uh, alongside Russian forces in this. In fact, in the Donbass, they're actually bearing the heavy brunt of the hand-to-hand -hand, uh, infantry fighting. Um, so they're fighting for, as they see it, their freedom from a government in, in Kiev uh, that does not represent them and seized power overthrew the government they had elected. And there are thousands of Ukrainians all across the country who have been arrested and disappeared as collaborators, right? Traitors, collaborators. Just a few weeks, just a couple of weeks ago, the uh, president of the Kiev regime, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, he fired his head of his intelligence service, the SBU, who was actually a lifelong friend, and the head of his federal prosecutors, because there were some 600 members of the intelligence services uh, and the uh, Justice Department in, in Ukraine that were identified as traitors and collaborators. Why, why are so many mm. Ukrainians against this regime? That's the question that is uh, no, never I, I, asked. No, absolutely. And uh, heaven forbid anybody question the, the motives of St. Zelensky and you're, you're banished to Siberia. I want to I, I get to that. I want to ask you about that. Just uh, curious, uh, do you maintain your American citizenship as well? Yeah, um, kind of by default, because you mm. kind of have to pay a thousands of dollars to get right, rid of right, your U.S. citizenship, right? right? And um, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I still have it. Um, and um, if I could, it's complicated. Okay. Um, do you still might... do you still vote in American elections, for instance? Oh no, no, no. no. I okay. think that would be I think that would be wrong. Um, I when I first came here, I was actually working with the U.S. embassy. I became the uh, chairman of Democrats Abroad here, um, and I was uh, I uh, was working with the embassy to get Americans in Russia, uh, uh, you know, which at the time was a considerable number, um, uh, uh, registered for election, which is a really hard thing to do in the U.S. to get elected abroad. Every state has different Byzantine rules, and it has all has to be done by mail, and you have to send it and receive it back and send it back. It's it's absolutely absurd. Um, and uh, yeah, I. Uh, everyone goes through their political evolution. And yeah, I, I 
uh, basically worked in a campaign to to mea culpa uh, get John Kerry elected. I'm I'm sorry for that, <laughs> but it didn't work. So, uh, well, uh, I I guess uh, I I appreciate you putting your cards on the table. All right, before we talk about the latest with this Russia-Ukraine war, um, uh, want to touch upon briefly your view of the legacy of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the last president of the Soviet Union. Uh, such an interesting guy and an interesting historical figure because there's been so many articles and books written about Gorbachev in both the West and in Russia, both while he was alive and in the last few days since he's died, with utterly conflicting things that people say about Gorbachev. Here's a sample of some of the things that were written about him while he was alive. These were all from articles or books written about him while he was alive. And I'm just saying this not necessarily for your benefit, but for the audiences. The greatest reformer in Russian history the leader who destroyed his own country, a great idealist, a man who betrayed his own party ideals, a great humanist, a great prince of darkness, the father of Russian democracy, the leader who blocked real democratization in Russia, a brave and courageous leader, a timid and indecisive leader, communism's greatest heretic, communism's last defender, a masterful politician, a great bungler, the liberator of Eastern Europe, and the man who gave away Russia's security. All of those things written about the same guy. Now, uh, I I think you and I uh, probably have differing views on this, and that's great. But I'm curious what what your take is on the legacy of Gorbachev and uh, what you think his legacy is and why. Yeah, I I don't think I'll speak to to my uh, opinion of Gorbachev because I didn't live through him. But... Uh, Russians did, all right, and the rest of the people of the former Soviet Union, and and my wife did. Um, And the approval rating of Gorbachev is less than 20%. Uh, More than 80% of of Russians disapprove of the legacy of Gorbachev. And 75% of Russians regret the passing of the Soviet Union. And I've got a few numbers for you here. Um, as a result of the events that, that uh, Gorbachev started in the mid-80s with his economic reforms, perestroika, uh, restructuring, and, uh, you know, what happened with his predecessor, his, his, um, I'm sorry, his, uh, those who came after him, Yeltsin in particular, of course, um, and without Gorbachev, there could have been no Yeltsin. Uh, but Russian GDP, just the Russian Federated Soviet Republic to the, to, to the Russian Federation, uh, dropped by 40%. Real wages were cut in half. Poverty ballooned from less than a million before he took office to 2.2 million in 87 to 88, to 66 million in 93-95. The ruble crashed. Pensions uh, uh, and savings were wiped out across the country. Uh, millions died under the brutal regime of shock therapy and privatization. The suicide rate for men went through the roof. More than half a million women were sold into sex slavery. Life expectancy dropped for over five, by over five years, particularly higher among men. And all of that only in the last decade has Russia recovered from that 
which is why Putin's popularity is so high and Gorbachev's uh, popularity uh, and, and Yeltsin who followed him is so low. It's kind of like taking two or two and a half Great Depressions and squeezing them into a couple year period. Mm. No, no, I, I can understand that. That being said, even if Gorbachev's approval rating is only around 20 percent, that still represents millions of people who at least have some sort of approval in Russia for uh, Gorbachev and his legacy. Do you think with that in mind, should Vladimir Putin have gone to Gorbachev's funeral, which he did not do? Um, I guess I would leave that to a personal choice. Um, I I think part of the logic here is not only is he incredibly popular, and Putin personally has no respect for him, considers him a naive appeaser who basically gave everything away without getting any type of security guarantees, uh, without uh, you know getting anything on paper. He trusted uh, uh, George Bush um, just to an amazing uh, degree. He was uh, completely naive. Um, Putin did go to Yeltsin's funeral. Uh, no, I realize. Yeah, but, I, I, all the yeah. more reason I think he should go to Gorbachev's. Yeah. But uh, Gorbachev is not receiving a full state funeral because he was not the president of Russia. Mm-hmm. He was the first and last president of the Soviet Union. Sure. Well, I guess that makes sense. Now, um, six months into this Russia-Ukraine war, what is your perception of how things are going? Um, Contrary to what uh, a lot of of what is being said in the Western media, um, uh, first of all, I think the war is a a tragedy. Um, I uh, I, I believe that the intervention was necessary, but that doesn't mean that I, I... am not, you know, continually um, saddened uh, to to a very high degree because I have family in East Ukraine. Um, And um, it is, Russia is obviously winning the intervention despite the entirety of NATO now being arrayed against it uh, with the the training, the arming, the funding, um, the targeting, uh, the intelligence, everything basically. Um, so, I mean, it's essentially a, a NATO proxy force uh, that Russia and Donbass are, are fighting there. And the West is waging an existential economic war against Russia, using its control of the global and financial system uh, to try to cut Russia out of the global markets entirely. And that hasn't gone too good for them, in case you didn't notice the price of gas at the pump and even worse, the price of energy uh, this winter uh, and inflation uh, that Europe is looking at. Um, Russia is is waging a limited intervention. They're using less than 10% of their military power here. And that is a signal about their intentions. Um, but um, it is slowly, methodically grinding through the, the, the Donbass, uh, the parts that were held by the uh, Kiev regime, that were built up uh, over eight year, for eight years with steel and concrete fortifications built into a heavily agglomerated urban factory heavy area. And the Soviet Union built factories like fortresses with bomb shelters and everything for the Cold War. It's really a fa- it's terrain that favors the defender uh, very well. And Russia has a numerically inferior force despite being the attacker by three times. 
Um, and they're slowly, methodically on their timetable grinding through and you'll hear lots of things about, oh, Russia's running out of this and they're stalling and they're exhausted. And then uh, every two to three weeks, you see the maps updated uh, and whew, you, you see territory uh, change hands. And, uh, you know, that's that's what's going on. I think that Russia should call up its reserves uh, and get this over with quicker. Because I think the longer it is dragged out, the more Ukrainians will die on both sides of the conflict. And that's the last thing I want. Um, and the destruction to Ukraine will be less. So, in, but, and there's a lot of Russians who are speaking up, Russian politicians, uh, you know, opposition parties uh, in the Duma that are calling for, for a greater. Russian effort at this point, considering that they're effectively fighting, and at this point, demilitarizing the military stockpiles of all of NATO. Um, why do you use the term? Why do you use the word intervention instead of war? I'm just curious. What, why? What, what do Americans call it when they invade another country? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I don't know what the government calls it, but I called the Iraq War a war. I called the war in Afghanistan a war. And yeah. why do you call there, it an intervention? There are, first of all, they intervened in a civil conflict in Ukraine that was going on for eight years, with the regime bombing, shelling the people in Donbass through the entirety of that period to subjugate them to their seizure of power in Kiev in 2014. Uh, and two, there are international legal reasons why no government calls a war a war anymore, right? They, they, Russia actually doesn't call it an intervention. They use their own terminology, special military operation. I like to call it an intervention because it's something that Americans and, and Brits and uh, who have been intervening in so many countries for the last several decades can relate to. Right, but you're not part of the government. You're pretty independent, and you know it. Just it seems like it's almost um, a, a subtle attempt to make what's happening, irrespective of how you feel about it, not sound as bad as it is. Sure, because I don't think it is. I think it was entirely necessary, and I believe that it is a just and a good thing, as does my family in East Ukraine, despite the awful cost of it. But I was a heavy critic of the Putin administration from 2014, uh, you know, for over that eight year period, uh, because he should have intervened immediately when the government was mm. overthrown in Kiev, if not before. And my family uh, in East Ukraine, they hold a, a great deal of anger towards the Russian president because they begged and they pleaded and they asked for help. And it was dribbled and drabbed for eight years. Uh, under this naive attempt at a Minsk Accords, which you know the uh, the West and and their you know Kiev client state just ripped up and have fully admitted that eh, we lied, we only agreed to it to build up a strong military. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Mark Sloboda. He is a Moscow-based international affairs and security analyst and a former contributing political analyst at RT. Uh, Mark, this week the big news was uh, the president, President Biden's announcement of $3 billion in fresh military aid for the Ukrainians in this conflict with Russia. W what is your 
prediction as to what this will do? Is it likely that this $3 billion is going to help Ukraine win the war, for instance, or at least help Ukraine defend itself against Russian aggression, as was sold to members of Congress and the American people as the reason necessary for all this aid? Has the last $40 billion? <laughs> not from where I'm standing. It's not, not from where I'm sitting. No, I mean, you really have to look at what is in these packages. And you will see that the U.S. isn't sending any more uh, high Mars uh, to the Kiev regime. This um, uh, multiple launch rocket system, high-end system of the U.S. Um, although it has to be said that Kiev has already lost 700 of their own multiple launch rocket systems in this conflict that they had at the beginning. And Russia has thousands of them. And they're, they've got several different gradients and their high-end system is just as good and better in some regards, the Tornado, uh, than uh, the, the HIMARS. So, but they're not even sending any more of those. They're not sending any more M777 howitzers because they've run out of stock that they can give them. They're, they're re- reduced to a lower grade of artillery piece, some ammunition, and it seems more like tokenism at this point and a bit of a sop to the U.S. military industrial complex mm. because they're just recycling money around. And I think everyone knows that. Um, but um, I, I do I have not seen anything on there. I mean, I know there's every few weeks there's another game changer. You know, first it was the um, the man pads uh, and the javelins and then. It was um, the um, uh, M777s, and then it was the HIMARS, and then it was kamikaze drones, and then uh, it was this and that. And uh, this last few weeks, it was the fairly antiquated harm anti-air defense missile that has been around since Vietnam and didn't do the U.S. that good for the uh, wild weasel pilots in that time period. it almost seems like they're getting rid of a lot of old inventory at this point that they know is not going to change the course. Um, but uh, they're just, I think they have to present the tokenism. And, and I honestly believe that uh, the U.S. goal here is, uh, I, they say, Austin has said that uh, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, that the goal is to weaken the Russian military. I, I don't think it actually works that way. Because the combat experience that the Russian military will gain here against a near peer competitor armed and trained and funded by NATO is something that no other country in the world has at this point, not even the U.S., despite their three decades of of, um, military interventions against third world countries. Um, So I think the Russian military will probably come out learning a lot of lessons and stronger out of this. But I think they want as many Ukrainians on both sides of this conflict to die. Um, One of the things that I think shocks a lot of Americans whenever it's on the news here, doesn't matter left, right or non-political, are these reports that the Russian military is indiscriminately bombing Ukrainian civilians. Is that accurate? No. And if you look at real U.S. military experts, the way they assess the course of the conflict, and I'm talking like Michael Kaufman at the uh, Center for New American Security and at the Naval War College Russian Military Analysis Center, they were flabbergasted when Russia went in because they were saying they're, they seem to be trying to avoid uh, collateral damage and infrastructure damage to such a high degree in the beginning that they are... Uh, inhibiting their own war effort. 
right? That You're not talking to the talking heads when you're looking at the real U.S. military experts. That's what they're saying. And since then, Russian has taken the kids' gloves off. But we have heard from Amnesty International, right, all these guys that, that Russia is hitting apartment buildings, Russia is hitting hospitals, Russia is hitting schools. And then Amnesty International comes out with what was painfully obvious to anyone who's following the conflict, because the Kiev regime troops are constantly uploading videos of themselves in schools and hospitals and apartment buildings as uh, headquarters and firing points, is that they were using this often without evacuating the people. Um, as as uh, human shields, right? Uh, as as uh, you know, infrastructure, civilian infrastructure that had to be uh, bombed to be dealt with, uh, and using the people there as human shields, and then crying, "Oh, uh, Russians uh, is is attacking our schools and hospitals and so forth." And that's a war crime. That's actually a war crime on their side. They right. have a responsibility to move their combat operations. Now, you can say that's unrealistic and no one actually does that in war, but it doesn't change the realities of that. And you don't have to trust my word for it. Do you trust Amnesty International? No, I do, and I think it's atrocious. Um, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I have to get this in before we run out of time. Uh, there was a um, a, a forum at which the German foreign minister, basically the equivalent of the United States Secretary of State, <laughs> Annalena Baerbock, yeah. said uh, said the following. But if I give the promise to people in Ukraine, we stand with you as long as you need us. Then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why, for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking, I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. We are facing now a winter time where we will be challenged as democratic politicians. People will go on the street and say, we cannot pay our energy prices. And I will say, yes, I know, so we help you with social measures. But I don't want to say, okay, then we stop the sanctions against uh, Russia. We will stand with Ukraine, and this means the sanction will stay also in wintertime, even if it gets really tough for politicians. I thought that was simultaneously one of the most shocking and one of the most honest things I've ever heard a diplomat say. Well, what she's essentially saying is she's going to support this war in Ukraine regardless of what the Germans want, the very people that elected her, or how it might impact their quality of life, despite countless Germans facing economic and logistical hardship from an increase in migrants and refugees, being told to shower less, travel less, do laundry less, and the possibility that many can't even heat their homes. She's saying, I don't care what the people of my country want. I'm going down with the ship. I mean, were you as shocked as I was to hear that? Did you hear the narcissism? Ukraine needs me. How tough politicians will have it. This is the the number two in the German Green Party, quote unquote, that seems uh, more more aligned with uh, neo American neocons than any environmental that has Germany now burning coal rather than gas, the dirtiest of, of fossil fuels. Um, she, I, I think what this does is this removes the masks, right? The, the pretenses are off. This isn't about freedom or democracy on either side. This is about pure, naked geopolitics. And I, I think Baerbach gave us a glimpse behind that mask. 
I'm going to have to end it there. Mark Sloboda, it's always an interesting conversation. I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This song was big because everyone plays on a Friday. That's why. You know, she came out with another song uh, Saturday. No one listened to it. It was very strange. Uh, this was one of the biggest songs ever. Hugely watched music video. And then she figures, and I give her credit. She says, all right, let me duplicate the same success and just pick a different day of the week. <laughs> I mean, it stands to reason. I would do the same thing. And... Um, For some reason, Saturday didn't take off. I don't know why. Maybe, I don't know. Can't figure that out. It's just as good or bad as this song. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I have to tell you. So, after I explained the water situation, Frank Diaz came in here. And he held up a giant gallon of water, which he apparently... Subsidized. He took my $9 and then threw in some of his own money, and he bought two giant gallons of water, which is great. Well, four gallons of water. Now, that's great. That's very generous for the people that like water. Um, so I'm now drinking some of this water from one of these gallon jugs. This is the worst-tasting water I've ever had. Have you? Did you try this? It's terrible. You taste what I taste? It tastes like plastic. I feel like I'm drinking liquid plastic. This is horrible. And I keep drinking it because, you know, you speak for hours on end and you need to replenish your, you know, your fluids. And every time I swallow it, I cringe. Because it it is. Thank you, Dominic. It tastes like plastic. And again, I don't have a high bar here, but that is something. Now, it is Friday, so that is uh, pizza day here on uh, the other side of midnight. Except for um, except for uh, Mr. Kenneth, who uh, is not a cheese person anymore for health reasons. Did you try the pizza today, Mr. Matt Blaze? Yes, pizza was wonderful. 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 Which which kind did you try? I had uh, try? a plain slice and a meatball slice. All right. Good. And I'm going to go back and have another slice. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, I did not have a, and you had a salad, right, Kenneth? Did that was that? I mean, no salad from a pizza shop is going to be great. Right? But was it okay? Was it passable? Yeah, no, it was good. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, all right, you're welcome. Um, 
I did not have any today because my wife went out for Indian food with my sister and my uh, second cousin, Deanna, last night. And she brought me back leftovers. So right before I left, I had leftover Indian food, and it was delicious. Love Indian food, and they including this um, tomato cheese naan, which is basically the Indian equivalent of pizza. It was really, really quite stellar, I must say. All right. A lot to get to. In a half hour, uh, we're going to talk about trade education and vocational schools in the context of um, student loans. Basically, we're now in a position where if you chose not to go to college and you made a good living as an electrician, a mechanic, whatever the case may be, you're now subsidizing people that are getting degrees in advanced lesbian dance theory. And what does that mean for the future of education and for the future of our economy? We're going to discuss it a bit with uh, Mike Porcelli. He had an interesting column called The Other Side of Education. So we'll get into it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Love this song. Uh, so many people are always asking me, who don't listen to this show in its entirety, what this song is. The Swan Silvertones, um, I'm Not Tired Yet. I first heard this song about 30 years ago when Curtis Lewa was hosting Overnights on WABC and doing a great job. And I said, the first time I heard it, if I'm ever doing uh, an overnight show on any radio station, that will be the song that I play. Uh, in the last hour of the show. And it really, every time I hear it, it really does give me an extra little oomph to get through the last hour of the show. Although today is not a show that I feel like I need any oomph for because I have way more subjects and way more topics than I can get to. And this is one of those shows where I wish we had an extra hour. I wish we would, uh, they could put something in uh, Frank, Frank Diaz's plastic tasting water and knock him out for an hour so I could be extended for an hour today and get to some of these subjects. But, alas, that's unlikely to happen. So, you know, I've been thinking a great deal about suicide over the course of the last week. Because one of our longtime listeners and one of our regular callers, Charlie Finch, and uh, Ed Cox's cousin and uh, 
a very well-known art critic, he killed himself. He jumped out of a window in his Greenwich Village apartment. And um, I'm not going to repeat everything I said about him last week, but it's, I think, just the saddest thing in the world that uh, somebody that was loved by so many and liked by so many and tolerated by many others would take their own life. I think it's terrible whenever anyone takes their own life, even if you're sick. And I'm not going to question um, the, you know, it's like a Robin Williams situation. How do you tell someone that's terminally ill, okay, the best thing for you to do is suffer through interminable pain? Uh, it's just, I, I, I don't envy anybody in that position. But here's what I didn't know, <clears throat> is that September is Suicide Awareness Month. So we're in September. Next week, maybe we'll do a segment on this with some trained mental health experts or something, someone along those lines. But that is certainly um, important to be aware of. And whenever I've talked about suicide on the air, I've tried to give out the suicide prevention hotline number. There is a shortcut. You know how there's 911 and 311 and 611? There is a shortcut for the suicide crisis hotline. That's 988. So if you or someone you know is ever feeling suicidal, keep that number handy, 988. Now, my sister-in-law, she's not technically my sister-in-law, but she introduces herself as my sister-in-law. It's my brother Alexander's longtime companion. My sister-in-law used to volunteer at one of these call centers, and she said um, one of the things that really turned her off is that a bunch of kind of creepy guys would call this crisis center and say all sorts of sexually perverted things to the women on the line. And the, the call center volunteers don't hang up ever. They never hang up. That's their one rule is they're never going to hang up on you. So a lot of the women that work at these call centers get turned off from volunteering because they don't want to be subjected to constant sexual harassment. So please, I, and I can't believe I need to say this, please only call the suicide prevention hotline if you're actually suicidal. Don't do it if you are looking to uh, sexually harass someone. Uh, but I saw this one story that said uh, these 988 call centers, they are facing a very big problem with funding. And uh, for people having a mental health crisis, calling 988 can be life-saving. But what happens after you call depends on where you are. The new 988 system launched in mid-July... And one early estimate says calls went up 45% nationally during the first week, with calls expected to increase more as people learn about the helpline. Some call centers say there are limits to what they can accomplish without more local resources. One person in Bucks County, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, the rudest city in America, uh, says that they have access to more services than other parts of the state of Pennsylvania. His job with the Family Service Association, which runs the hotline, sometimes involves connecting them with services like homeless shelters, therapists, drug and alcohol counselors. And um, he says in other parts of the state, they're having a very tough time with this, with funding. So that's something that certainly ought to be a 
priority. I hate to see these resources, these uh, crisis hotline centers, these 988 centers, strained for resources and unable to get in-person help for people because this is uh, this is really serious stuff. And I have a friend who is um, really dedicated to the cause of stamping out veteran suicide because that's one of the saddest things about the current suicide epidemic that we're in, and I'll call it an epidemic. And my friend launched this group called uh, The Gold Shield, and you can learn more about what they do if you're a person or a business owner at thegoldshield.us. And what he always said uh, is the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which provides mortgage-free homes for family members of fallen service members or mortgage-free homes that are uh, given to disabled service members, what he says is what the Tunnel to Towers Foundation does, and I agree with them. And I forget the verbiage that he used, but he said essentially they take the gun out of the mouth of someone that's suicidal. And I agree, because if you think about it, if you're um, permanently disabled because you've lost your legs, for instance, or you've lost your arms and you have no way of paying your mortgage – I mean, I have to think that puts you in a pretty dark place. And the work that the Tunnel to Towers Foundation does, it not only alleviates the economic burden for a lot of these families, it may take them off of that suicide track. So that's why I've always been very proud to be part of the uh, Tunnel to Towers Foundation fundraising efforts. And we have this big walk coming up on Sunday, September 25th, and we need your help. I'm walking. A lot of the other hosts are walking or running, and I'd like you to make a donation. Go to the website walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com, and make a donation. Find my picture. Trying to raise more money than all the other hosts. Last year I did. This year I am um, second. So I'm trying to trying to pick up some slack here, and I need your help. Uh, Walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. If you want to comment on, on this, you can. 800-848-9222. The last thing I'll say on the suicide front is this, and then we'll talk about something a little bit more upbeat. Ashley Judd is the famous actress and the famous member of the Judd family, is opening up about discovering her mother, Naomi, after her suicide in April. She wrote a uh, really moving essay in the uh, New York Times. Very personal, very sad. Uh, If you want to read it, I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page right now at uh, facebook.com slash moranofan. That's facebook.com. Slash M O R A N O fan, and what she is, what she says in this is that this was the most shattering day of her life, and the trauma of discovering and then holding her laboring body haunts my nights. While all Judd wanted to do was comfort her mother, law enforcement officers began interviewing her and kept her away from Naomi during the last moments of her life, leaving her feeling cornered and powerless. 
This is a quote. I wanted to be comforting her, telling her how she was about to see her daddy and younger brother as she went away home. Instead, without it being indicated I had any choices about when, where, and how to participate, I began a series of interviews that felt mandatory and imposed on me that drew me away from the precious end of my mother's life. Judd felt as though the officers were making her out to be a possible suspect just moments after she found her mother's body. Quote, The men who were present left us feeling stripped of any sensitive boundary, interrogated, and in my case, as if I was a possible suspect in my mother's suicide. Naomi died by suicide at 76 years old from a self-inflicted gunshot wound on April 30th after years of struggling with mental, health, uh, mental illness. In the, moment, in the months since Naomi's passing, many details of her death have been released to the public, including videos, images, family interviews. And Judd, Ashley Judd, is now fighting to give her family and get her family a little bit of privacy. Quote, I don't know that we'll be able to get the privacy we deserve. I do know that we're not alone. We feel deep compassion for Vanessa Bryant and all families that have had to endure the anguish of a leaked or legal public release of the most intimate, raw details surrounding a death. So while Judd acknowledged that there's a need for law enforcement to investigate, she believes, and I agree with her, and you're welcome to comment, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. She believes there's no way to justify the release of certain materials. Not only does making such material public do irreparable harm to the family, it can act as a contagion among a population vulnerable to self-harm. I completely agree with her. I completely agree. When, when we are allowed time to process trauma and heal and to disclose its causes at our discretion, we can become effective public advocates. But people should never have, should never have to share their wounds with the public before they're ready, if ever. So I uh, just shared this on, fa- on uh, Facebook. You could read it, uh, facebook.com slash Morano fan. And uh, it's really just very sad. But I agree. I like what she says here, and I think it's such a shame that uh, that she and her family had to go through this. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Carol in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there, Frank. Actually, I was calling you about something else, but I have to comment on what you were just speaking about. Um, I feel so sorry for Ashley Judd, really. I mean, the way she was treated, I think is terrible, really. So do I. I, I, uh, I think it's just uh, un- inexcusable, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, originally I was calling about the mosquitoes because when I was in um, biology class in school, they showed us a video of all the diseases you could come down with from mosquitoes. And it was creepy. I mean, you know, I, I didn't want to see that. Malaria and yellow fever and dengue fever and all this stuff. It's, you know, we're, we weren't doctors. 
or nurses or anything like that. We didn't need to see that. I thought it was creepy. Well, I hear what you're saying, Carolyn. I don't blame you. I do think it's important for people to be informed, right, about the possible risks that right. mosquito-borne yeah, illnesses right, right. Be, uh, carry yeah. with them. But I appreciate that. Carol, have a good weekend. Appreciate it very much. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. By the way, Monday I will not be here. We do have a live show for you. Curtis Lee will be here, and uh, I'm sure he will be making fun of me for uh, most of the show. That's fine. And uh, I'll be back on Tuesday. We've got some interesting things for Tuesday. I'm scheduled to talk to Malachi McCourt over the weekend. We're going to do part two of our interview. And then I'm going to play that for you on Tuesday. That was really very popular. Um, 800-848-9222. Andy B. is on Staten Island. Hello, Andy. Hey, Frank. I know a week or two ago I heard you say that you run into the CD of mine once in a Yes, I passed it again yesterday. There you go. Did you listen to me? Not yet. Not yet. I am hoping to do it tomorrow morning, maybe even tonight. Well, it's almost Thanksgiving again. Uh, I believe me. I know. And uh, my son's birthday as well. So I, I absolutely will be listening to it, and I appreciate the work that you've put into it. Thank you, Andy. And you just may hear Andy's theme song a little later in this hour as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Mike is in the Buckeye State, Ohio. Hello, Mike. Uh, hi, hi, Frank. I'm, I'm kind of nervous. Uh, oh, but, no, don't be nervous. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm more scared. Uh, if we the people are, are going to start, uh, if, if we celebrate or, or, or even just tolerate um, uh, executing or or just trying to destroy uh, losing administrations, we're, we're, we're a banana republic, man. I, I think well, I think we're gone uh, when when we do that. Um, and I, I don't care what the you, you know. I, I don't. There's there's presidents who have gotten us into wars and and all that sort of thing. If you Think there's somebody you ought to punish? Why not them? Why not execute those suckers? You know, and it, it's it's just it's it's the end. It, it's the end if we allow the powers to destroy the people they defeated. It, it's it's we're done if we do that. We're in trouble. It scares me if if we the people celebrate or even tolerate uh, one of the January sixth protesters. Given ten years uh, sentence for tackling a one of the attacking a police officer. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you know, again, I, 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 Mike, I, thank you for the call. I have very little tolerance for people that attack police officers. Uh, I, I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what your race is. If you're going to assault a police officer with a flagpole or a weapon or with your bare hand. I have very little tolerance for you, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to be making advocating for anyone that would attack a cop, even if you're a former cop yourself. I'm not going to make that my cause. And the other thing that I will add, look, as for the reasons I stated earlier, I don't think Trump should be prosecuted. But I, 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 to prosecute a former leader does not make us a banana republic. It's something that very healthy democracies do all the time. Um, Jacques Chirac in France, 
Nicolas Sarkozy in France. They were both prosecuted. Does that make France a banana republic? I don't think so. Uh, Lula da Silva, uh, Michael Tamer, Dilma Rousseff in Brazil. Brazil's not a banana republic. South Africa, Jacob Zuma. South Korea, I don't don't remember the president in South Korea, but uh, the president there was prosecuted. Silvio Berlusconi in Italy, not only the prime minister, but a billionaire. Uh, So democracies prosecute their presidents all the time. All the time. Let me end uh, with this before we get to the $1,000 minute. You know, one of the most important things that you can do for yourself and for those around you. And I know what you're saying. It's listen to this podcast. Well, yes, that's true. By the way, I want to encourage you. You have to not only subscribe to the Other Side of Midnight podcast, but for those of you that are listening, especially for whatever reason on Friday, that's our highest day for the highest number of downloads. So I think there's this whole cadre of people that just listen to the podcast on Friday and then don't listen live because they're asleep or they get to they have different hours, whatever the case may be. You're missing a lot if you also don't subscribe to the Frank Morano Interviews and More podcast. Now, if you subscribe to the Other Side of Midnight podcast, you've also got to subscribe to the Frank Morano Interviews and More because there are special commentaries that air live on the radio on WABC, but they're not included in the podcast for the Other Side of Midnight. The only way you get access to that is by subscribing to Frank Morano Interviews and More. And I came to a, a decision yesterday. Not that I'm looking to do more work because we already do this show and we have the racket report and we do a lot of other things. But I am so interested in electoral reform and really niche political issues that are too boring, I'm convinced, for me to do on the radio. But there are some other political nerds out there. So I am going to start doing interviews on these niche issues that I'm interested in. That I'm not going to put on the radio. And the only place you will be able to hear that is the Frank Morano Interviews and More podcast. I'm going to do one next week on redistricting. I'm going to get the people from the redistricting commission in New York City in studio, not put it on the radio, and just put it on the podcast. So I know that's way too in the weeds for most people. I mean, it's practically in the weeds for me. But I can't help myself. I want to have these conversations. And I thought, oh, should I do it in a Zoom or... You know, um, I want to have a whole conversation about why the stupid election system in Alaska should not sour people on ranked choice voting. But it's really in the weeds and requires some in-depth understanding of the issue. So um, subscribe to that podcast, Frank Morano Interviews and More. Now, Axios had a brilliant piece a couple of days ago that one of your most powerful tools to improve health bolster relationships, and just feel better is your smile. It's that simple. Americans tend to smile more and wider than folks in other countries, according to research. Those megawatt grins are actually good for our mental and physical health. The science-backed benefits of smiling include stress relief, pain relief, and strengthened relationships. Research has shown that smiling during running can make you more efficient and make the run feel more manageable. Isn't that interesting? 
I may run on uh, Sunday. So I may smile during it. Our smiles send cues to our brains that we're okay. One study found that smiling during a shot can lessen the perceived pain of the needle. When you smile in a tense situation, your body has a real physical response. That's according to researchers at the University of Kansas. Your heart rate slows down. Your stress starts to melt away, even if you're not actually feeling smiley. Basically, fake it. Fake it till you make it. Also, for whatever reason, it's a fact that we find people more attractive when they smile. And one of the reasons, um, according to Olga Kazan in The Atlantic, one of the reasons Americans smile so much is our nation's diversity. It turns out that countries with a lot of immigration have historically relied more on nonverbal communication because nobody can understand one another. My Uncle Steve and his new Filipino girlfriend, they don't understand a word the other is saying. So what do they do? They smile at each other all day. No wonder they haven't fought yet. Thus, people in these countries smile more. Smiling at work can make you appear more trustworthy and deepen bonds with coworkers. I found that to be true. It's one of the reasons I find uh, Matt Blaze so distrustful, because he never smiles. That's according to the Wharton School of Business. So many of us take smiling for granted, and many of us did take it for granted until the pandemic era forced us to wear masks all the time. So try it. The next time you're in a traffic jam, now that... No, now that those are back, the traffic jams, give yourself a big smile. Statistically proven to help. Hey, you'll be smiling if you are $1,000 richer, and you can be if you are the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Be the seventh caller, and we'll let you play the $1,000 minute. Answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and uh, you'll be $1,000 richer. You can go ahead and call right now. Uh, Mike Porcelli is here. We're going to talk with him about trade education and a variety of other issues. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. to doing great songs like this and uh, her name was Lola. Do you know that Barry Manilow is responsible for, I'm not joking about this, all of the greatest commercial jingles in history? Maybe we'll, we'll play some of them next week, but um, do, are you aware of this, Matt Plays? You're aware of this. So all of the best commercial jingles ever, you know, um, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. You name it. Uh, stuck on a Band-Aid. Give your face something to smile about for Stridex. All Barry Manilow. Isn't that amazing? 
Well, maybe we'll play them next week. Uh, that's kind of a fun, kind of fun thing. Maybe next Friday we'll do that. It's a fun Friday subject. All right, uh, Mike Borcelli is here. We're going to talk with him in a minute. But meantime, it is time for us to try and give away a thousand dollars. It's time for the other side of midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. And let's meet today's contestant, Vinny, on Staten Island. Hello, Vinny. How are you, Frankie? Vinny, uh, are, we, uh, are we personally acquainted? Have I ever met you? You probably crossed paths with me somewhere. Okay. I've... I've uh... You know, I've been all over Staten Island. All right. Very good. Very good. What neighborhood do you live in? Do you want to say? Yeah, sure. I, I live near the mall in uh, New Springville, near okay. Harlem Village. Great. All right. Good. I used to live right by over, uh, over there, too. Uh, we moved about uh, about three years ago and or two years ago. Great bagels over there. Am I right? Absolutely. Harlem bagels are the best. Absolutely. All right. Plug them on the radio book ahead. Yeah. Uh, Vinny, uh, you're familiar with this game, I assume, right? A little bit, yes, sir. Okay, so uh, it's pretty simple. I'm going to ask you ten questions. You, we're going to have go through them quickly so that you can get to them all in sixty seconds. And if you get a question right, we just move on to the next question. Okay, simple enough. Simple enough. All right. What month is it? It is September. If you freeze water, what do you get? Ice. Is zillion a real number? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no. no. Uh, zillion. We had a one, one out of two chance there. Zillion is not a real number, even though it does get used a lot. It gets rhyme, rhymes with billion, trillion, quadrillion. It is unfortunately not a real number, uh, Vinny. So you will not be making zillions today. Uh, Vinny, hang on. Give Kenneth your information. Give it to him twice because we we just tracked down a winner from July 5th who never got his money so uh, or his prize. So... We were on track and on correcting that. So make sure Kenneth gets your information. Hey, uh, it is really great to have uh, my friend Mike Porcelli in studio. Mike is a longtime friend of mine. He was actually in studio with us on our very first show and brought a bottle of uh, champagne to pop on that show. He is a master mechanic, an automotive expert. He is a, uh, a professor, an Army veteran, and a Longtime proponent of trade education. Mike, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in studio. Good morning, Frank. I got to tell you, when you were on a week or two ago, the response that I got to our conversation about uh, trade education and uh, vocational schools was overwhelming and overwhelmingly positive. I'm curious, what kind of response uh, have you heard? I got a similar response. Everybody I speak to agrees that we need trade education. I didn't find a single person who doesn't think we need more trade training. Uh, For people that might not have heard our previous discussion, if everybody agrees that we need more trade education, then why don't we? What's the problem? Uh, Two obstacles, the politicians and the school administrations. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't politicians want to encourage trade education? What do they have to lose? I think they've been brainwashed by the society in the last 50, 60 years that says that trade, trades are not worthy occupations. Okay. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's a real shame. Now, you wrote this column. It's called The, uh, the Other Side of uh, Education. Where does this column appear? It's in all, most of the Queen's papers, the uh, BQE publishers, uh, 
the Queen's Ledger, the Glendale Register, a couple of Brooklyn papers. So most, I, have, I have to give you the credit for the title of the... Well, we'll get to that in a second. But if people want to read the column, it's out, and they can pick up one of these Queens or Brooklyn weeklies. Yes. Okay. It's also going to be online all over. Oh, great. Okay. And so if people want to get it online, how do they, how do, they do that? Uh, it'll be on my LinkedIn page. Just Google Mike Porcelli Mechanic. Very good. You'll find it. Very good. And when it's uh, when it's live, I'll post it on my Facebook page and as well. It'll also be on the BQE uh, website. Okay, great. So now here we go. You know, the other side of education, clearly that's a, a name that uh, was inspired from the name of our program. You Absolutely. actually suggested that as a segment. And yet I'm reading this, uh, reading this column and I'm reading it a, a second time and not a, not a mention of our show in this column. Uh, not a mention of the segment that we did on trade education. I can't help but think that if we're furthering the the ball on on uh, awareness of vocational schools and trade education, and we're inspiring titles of columns, we should get a little bit of a shout out. We got nothing. Uh, ran out of space, unfortunately. Ah. But but you will be in this week's All right, next well, next week's. We'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, now. It's a really interesting column, and in it, you touch upon the uh, keynote address that schools chancellor David Banks uh, did at the City and State Education Summit. And I like City and State, and I know those guys over there, and they've been uh, very good to to me over the years. But um, David Banks, as you said last time you were here, was, seemed to really get it and seemed to really be on the same page you are. In terms of trade education, right? Yes, and I was pleasantly surprised when he came out and said he's bringing back CTE, career and technical education. Then he said, but it's not your grandfather's CTE. I, w- I just was, I jumped out of my seat because a week before I came up with a title that says, welcome to shop class, it's not your grandfather's. Well, it's interesting, though, that David Banks managed to get a shout-out in the column, but we didn't. But um, – uh, so are you optimistic, given that the leader of the largest educational system in the country is on the same page you are, are you optimistic that now maybe the needle is finally moving forward, that we're going in the right direction? I hope so, and I, I hope to be able to, to work with him. And uh, I've been an advisor to the Department of Education for years on trade education, but they, do, they don't seem to move very quickly. So okay. ho- hopefully he'll get them to move uh, and get if my goal is to have them double the resources for trade education programs every two years. OK. And what is it now? Do you know it's it's much less than half of what it was when I was in school. Uh huh. But in terms of percentage or dollars spent, do you have I, I ballpark don't, idea? I don't have those figures. Okay. No, I'm just curious. Um, now, uh, for folks that say, well, you know, I really want my child, my grandchild to go to college so that they can make a good living, uh, to go to law school, even if it means taking out a lot of loans to get to law school, go to medical school, even if it means taking out a lot of loans to go to medical school so they can make a good living. I don't want them being a mechanic or an electrician or a carpenter. What kind of money can people make if they pursue a trade or pursue uh, a vo- vocational education? More than most talk show hosts. <laughs> of that, I have no <laughs> doubt. But that's not saying much. Give us, some, uh, give us some idea of what people can make in terms of uh, a living. Mechanics working for New York City in New York City shops that repair the city vehicles, you know, police cars, sanitation trucks, they, they start out. I think about $40,000 a year, plus overtime, plus benefits. 
anybody who's working for the city more than a few years is probably making around $100,000 a year fixing vehicles wow. or other, other uh, types of trades. What if you're not lucky enough to work for the city? In private, in private industry, you can make, depending on how ambitious you are and how well-trained you are, you can make uh, even more money. Mm. I know top mechanics at car dealerships can make over $200,000. Wow. Wow. So uh, you don't need to go to college to make over $200,000. No, but I hope people don't fall into the trap of thinking the two college and trades are mutually exclusive. They're not. I have two degrees. I'm not anti-college. I say everybody should go to college, but some people should go right from high school and some people should go after they're working a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's good advice, and I'm glad you said that. Now, uh, we're talking with Mike Porcelli, master mechanic uh, and a proponent of trade education. All over the news for the last two weeks has been President Biden's proposal. Not a proposal. It's something he's doing on his own, even without congressional approval, to uh, ish- for student loan forgiveness. It involves forgiving student loans for individuals who earn up to $125,000 and households that earn up to $250,000. Now, this essentially means that if somebody opted not to go to college and instead pursue one of these trade education routes and they're working now as a carpenter, an electrician, a mechanic, whatever the case may be, that they are now subsidizing the student loan forgiveness of all these people that took out loans to go to college. Is that something you have a problem with? I have a big problem with that. That's no different than going to a restaurant. You're having dinner in a restaurant, and somebody guns, comes and puts a gun to your head and says, you have to pay for the next table's dinner. Right. It's, well, it's coercion. It's, it, it's not American. Yeah. And um, it, it really, I doubt that anybody told these uh, people graduating from trade schools to become mechanics that they were going to be subsidizing the the student loans for lawyers, doctors, and theater majors, right? It, I, I can't believe it's happening. Mm. Uh, what could the federal government do to encourage trade education? Let's say there's an outcry, because I know the I think the Republicans are going to start running ads featuring mechanics saying, oh, you know, you're welcome for us paying off your loan for a, a theater degree, nothing against theater degrees. But what could the federal, if there's an outcry and people say, well, maybe the mechanics deserve something too, or electricians deserve something too, what could the federal government do to encourage trade education or subsidize the, the costs of going into a field like mechanics? Well, they already do some. They do provide student loans for trade schools. And the, pri- the private industry trade schools are quite expensive, more, much more than the public sector trade schools like community colleges where I teach. Um, the, the, most of the students that go to those private trade stools, schools do get loans and grants, federal and state. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, unrelated, because you are very much a, a car expert, I returned my car lease uh, this week. Went really well. I had a very good experience. But... Um, I cannot find my spare key fob. Now, if someone's similarly situated, what does that mean that they're likely to pay the dealership as a penalty for losing their spare key fob? Key fobs today run hundreds of dollars. Why are they so expensive? Because they have to be programmed to the vehicle. It's the programming that's expensive. The key is not the expensive part. Mm. It's the programming, mm. which is done by a highly trained technician who makes that big money. 
Uh, it's uh, no way around that. Then I guess uh, I gotta I gotta bite the bullet and pay if I find can't the find key. this. I'm trying. I'm trying. Turn the house upside down. It's still not working. Hey, we had a caller in the first hour. I don't know if you heard him, but uh, he said that one. He, he has been a mechanic as well, and he said that one of the great joys he gets is showing younger kids how an engine works. Is that something that you find exciting, kind of taking a young person on the ins and outs of an engine? Uh, engines and other other pieces of machinery. I'm fascinated by machinery, always have been. So, in fact, I spent yesterday at an engineering uh, conference uh, talking about how things work with a lot of engineers. All right. Well, no, that's, uh, that's great. And uh, you have how many mechanical certifications? I have 62 ASC certifications. They just came out last month with number 63, so I'll have to take that. Wow, that's uh, really impressive. I've never met someone with 62 ASC certifications. I don't think there is anybody else. I I am relatively certain that you're right. If uh, people want to stay in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Go to my my, uh, LinkedIn page. Just Google Mike Porcelli, Master Mechanic, and I'll pop up. P-O-R-C-E-L-L-I, right? Mike Porcelli, Master Mechanic. Mike, it's always a treat to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Frank, and thanks for inspiring me. Uh, Well, hey, uh, thanks for giving me credit in this column. Oh, I didn't get credit. All right. Um, 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. Uh, If you want to comment for 15 seconds, now's the time. You can call in 800-848-848. 9222. That's 800-848-9222. Any subject is fair game. Any comment is fair game. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. Uh, like the song says, we're talking about aliens and UFOs. By the way, this is interesting. I don't know if you saw this. This was um, in, I think this was on space.com. The first private mission to Venus, Venus, the planet, will have just five minutes to hunt for life. Five minutes. Now, I mean, that's not a lot of time. It's launching as soon as next year. Rocket Lab's low-cost mission will be brief. But they are saying it could transform the search for alien biology. So as the COVID pandemic raged in 2020, all eyes turned briefly from our planet to our neighbor, Venus. Astronomers had made a startling detection. We talked about it at the time. A gas called phosphine that on Earth is created through biological processes. So speculation ran wild. 
as scientists struggled to understand what they were seeing. Now, a mission due to be launched next year could finally begin to answer the question that has excited astronomers ever since. Could life on Venus be belching out this gas? So um, this, this project is all about finding out what the story is. So the, this is the first privately funded venture to another planet. Rocket Lab has developed a small, multi-purpose spacecraft called Photon. It's the size of a dining room table, and it can be sent to multiple locations in the solar system. A mission to the moon for NASA was launched in June. For this Venus mission, another Photon spacecraft will be used to throw a, a small probe into the planet's atmosphere. That probe is currently being developed by a team of fewer than 30 people. So it's interesting. The probe is small, weighs just 45 pounds, and measures 15 inches across. Inside the probe will be a single instrument weighing only two pounds. There's no camera on board to take images as the probe falls through the clouds of Venus. There simply isn't the radio power or the time for it to beam much back to Earth. It's not images, though, that scientists are after, but a close-up inspection of the clouds, Venus's clouds. That that will be provided by an auto-fluorescing nephilometer, a device that will flash an ultraviolet laser on droplets in Venus's atmosphere to determine the composition of the molecules inside them. As the probe descends... The laser will shine outwards through a small window, and it will excite these complex molecules. So um, it is quite interesting, quite interesting that uh, this is all going to take place in just a few minutes. It's going to have, as the probe falls, it will have just five minutes in the clouds of Venus to perform this experiment. And then it'll radio its data back to Earth. That's pretty neat. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. The next, maybe the next time Dr. Sky is on, we'll bring that up with him uh, because he knows about this stuff. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a second. So my sister, who, as I mentioned, is doing this marathon training, she... Was running 14, 15, 16 miles almost every day. And I keep trying to get her to listen to the podcast of this program. I said, Claudia, that will be exciting for you. That'll keep you from getting bored. And she says, no, I don't want to listen. I don't think I'm interested in every segment that you do. I, can't you just send me highlights? And you know what I said? No, I can't. Because uh, my friend Arthur was the same way. He said, look, I don't have three hours to listen. I just want to hear highlights. I said, no, this is a program that is meant to be listened to holistically. Each hour of this program is, is carefully curated to complement itself, right? It's meant to be help you experience the whole range of human emotions. It's scientifically crafted to stimulate every area of your brain. If you listen to only portions of this show, 
It's the equivalent of having every meal be just beef. Now, it's great to have beef. You need protein. But you need other food groups as well. You don't want to eat just seafood. You want vegetables. You want fruit. You need carbohydrates. You need protein. You need all the, you need everything. So that's why this show is really meant to be listened to in its entirety. So if you're not listening to it in, in its entirety, you're missing out. So please, for your own sake, subscribe to the podcast. Go to uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Search the other side of midnight and hit the subscribe button. And you will see why I will not consent to just sending Claudia highlights of this program. I'm listening to Frank Marano and eating gabagool. <laughs> because everybody likes something different, right? Um, some people listen for the interviews. Some listen to, for my commentary on uh, certain news items, right? Some people listen for the wacky callers. Some people listen for some of the personal stories that I tell, right? Um, irrespective of why you listen, you got to listen to the whole thing. That's how it's meant to be listened to. Bottom line. All right. Uh, 15 seconds of fame. 800-848-9222. I was uh, negligent the last two days in not allowing ample opportunity for people to comment. So we're going to uh, try and give a few minutes, uh, a couple, a few, four full minutes today so people can get in their commentary. Uh, heaven knows that the uh, Janine Pirro guy and the Sid Zamoron guy were uh, left just terribly disappointed that they couldn't get through the last two days. But uh, without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike is in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, do you need water? New York City has some of the best-tasting tap water anywhere. Go to the tap. You're not living in Mumbai. John in New Jersey. Hey, Frank, we got the U.S. Open back. Has anyone heard from the Chinese tennis star Peng Shui? Has she disappeared like Ashley Biden's diary? Roger in Massachusetts. I know somebody whose father was a doctor several years ago. And one day a woman came frantically into his office because she ate an ant. He told her, actually, go eat another ant. Mike on Staten Island. So yesterday, Biden was being briefed at one of his briefings, and they told him that 10 Brazilian soldiers were killed in a training session. He replied, exactly how many is a Brazilian? When in Woodside, eat at Dino and Son. Jeff in Queens. Yeah, Frank, can we get an update on that, on that situation with the Philippine woman and your relative? And number two, will you interview your brother, your Marxist brother, someday on the air? Uh, you know, both of those are good ideas. I will give an update on my Uncle Steve's situation on uh, Tuesday, and uh, I will invite my brother. Uh, maybe I'll invite all my siblings on one day. That'd be fun. That'd be some show. E. Frank is in Astoria. Yes, uh, I would just like to say my condolences to the Finch family. I think she, he was married to one of your cousins. They didn't do any wellness checks on him. He was an instrumental part of your show, and I don't understand why they would allow something like this to occur. Anna in Queens. Yes, hi. Scientology does work, even though you were putting it down last week. It gives you basic rules that you use for the rest of your life. Take the personal integrity course and the basic study manual. If you're a student, it 
Hey, great show today. Uh, that's really great that you had Mike Bocelli on because I'm a proponent of uh, trade education. And uh, everybody can't be the uh, vice president of Chase Manhattan Bank. William in Westchester. For bad-mouthing Rudy Washington on Cats the other night, I'd denounce Al D'Amato. He's a gavone and an ignoramus. Harry in New York City. Rick in New Jersey. Good morning. The other day you were talking about coffee. The best coffee is U-Band and chocolate. John on Staten Island. Hello, Frank. John Vito. Go ahead. Be heard. Hey, how are you? Oh, Frank, I just want to say that in the White House we have Lucifer. Is that the right way you pronounce it? We don't have a human being. We have Lucifer. Thank you, John Vito. All right, uh, that slams the lid on things for today. Have a great weekend. I hope you have a three-day weekend as I do. Uh, Those of you that are in Atlantic City on Sunday or Monday, maybe I'll see you along the boardwalk. I'll be with my wife and young Carmine. And uh, if you want to stay in touch, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I'll be back Tuesday morning, hopefully with Malachi McCord. Frank Morano, good day. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.